Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Eric, you're so far away. I know. Well, we are definitely more than six feet apart. Oh, yes. Yes. I'd say about six miles apart. Ward and I have decided to not be together while doing the podcast, uh, to be respectful and, and, you know, uh, thoughtful about everything that we're all going through. So if you notice some changes in audio quality, it's because we're doing this in a slightly different way. When we get to the interview that we have for this one, it'll be back to normal because we shot it, we, we recorded it a little bit ago, but we are being Corona courteous. We all got to do our part and we have to protect the most vulnerable of the population. And even though you and I are seeing nobody besides our immediate family, uh, it just doesn't seem right to be going out onto the road uh, and and doing anything unnecessary at this point because it's it's about way more than basketball. Being in the same room to do the podcast is unnecessary, but doing the podcast is very necessary. Absolutely. And look, we won't belabor what's going on in the world right now because every podcast in my feed right now, that's all they're talking about. You can find that anywhere. We here at the Hoosier Hysterics provide a safe, wonderful place to be transported back in time to the glory days and the glory years of Indiana basketball. And the one we got today is just so incredibly special. I, I, we recorded it, what, about a, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. And I have not stopped thinking about it since because this gentleman just makes you smile. And we, you've heard well, the name. Both gentlemen, because there is a cameo from another gentleman. That's true. But this is a name that if you're an Indiana fan, you have heard the name, no doubt. If you are an Indiana fan who's probably over the age of 60, you probably know them, 50, 60, you know them very well. If you are under 45, they're probably just the stuff of legends and a name that you really have no emotional connection to. Well, I hope that changes after listening to this because it sure as hell did for me. It's a great point uh, that even going back in the clips that are available, it, it's hard to get that emotional connection. But when you, you talk to somebody that, in my mind, was always like a, a specter along with his brother in the past, be like, oh, wait, this guy is not only alive and well, but he's so engaging and, and happy and, and, and just 
such a joy to hear about these times, which were the same years that my in-laws were attending Indiana University. So it makes stuff, I think we all have this, whenever you were born, 10 or 15 years before you were born, seems like the dark ages. And then the older you get, you realize, oh, that was just yesterday, even now. But to get to speak to a legend with a cameo by his legendary brother, and then, you know, realize this is our first podcast with somebody who played for Branch McCracken. Wow. Yeah. This is, this is where like kind of living the dream of, of connecting all the eras that I don't think anybody's still around for Everett Dean, but you want to talk about the championship eras. We're back in there for real today. We are. It's, uh, and, and I think everybody will see, and we'll get to it quickly, how full of life and energy and spirit this guy is. And it's just, it's totally inspirational and life-affirming. And uh, I, I just love that we got a chance to do it, and I'm so excited to share it with everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have got... An extraordinary guest today. I don't even know where to begin, and it's nice because I don't. Eric, that's your job. <laughs> Why don't you just begin to to let the listeners know a little bit about this man's incredible career? I, I mean, just buckle up, everybody, because I don't know if we've had one as long as this. But we are talking to a gentleman today who was co-Mr. Basketball in the state of Indiana. We are talking to a gentleman who was an All-American at Indiana, a first-team All-Big Ten, an academic All-American, an academic All-Big Ten. We are talking to somebody who is 33rd all-time in scoring at Indiana. We are talking to somebody who is 15th all-time in career scoring average at Indiana. We are talking to someone who has the 13th best rebounding season at Indiana and 15th all-time best rebounding career. We are talking to the 9th best rebounding average in a season at 12.3 points, the 9th best all-time with 17 double-doubles in a season, 6th best all-time with 38 double doubles for career and keep in mind only three years in this career and less games in each season that's exactly right only 24 games per season i want to just take a moment on this specific statistic only seven players in the history of indiana university seven have scored 20 points in a season and averaged 10 rebounds those seven are steve downing george mcginnis dick van arsdale walt bellamy archie dees don schlunt and our guest today. We are talking to an IU Hall of Famer inducted in 1985. We are talking to the 11th pick of the NBA draft. We are talking to a 12-season veteran of the NBA, a three-time All-Star. Ladies and gentlemen, we are literally talking to a legend. Please welcome Tom Van Arsdale. Welcome, Tom. Hey, you guys are unbelievable. I mean, I feel... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> no, I we're not. Up off of a cloud, a cloud right now for crying out loud. <laughs> what does it feel like, Tom, to hear all of those accomplishments? I mean, I'm sure you've had plenty of opportunity to hear many of them before, but just hearing them all in one chunk right there, what does that do to you? Well, you know, I quite honestly, 
I had heard hardly any of that because you guys have really dug into some statistics that I didn't even know about. I mean, that's shocking to me. You know, I think that one that you were talking about, the seven players like Walt Bellamy yeah. and Dick and me and Don Schlunt and, and Archie D's and those guys, that was that really kind of struck me because those were all my idols, those guys. Uh, and, and, of course, um, it just, you know, statistics are st- statistics, you know, and they can be deceiving. But, hey, I'll take <laughs> I did like to hear those. But I, I, I you're, you're shocking me a little bit. <laughs> oh, good. We like that. Well, it's really shocking yeah. to, to look at your career in its totality. It's just along with your brother. It's without question one of the most unique, special, magical runs two basketball players ever had together. And I just, I just wonder, you know, how much is known, especially by guys our age and younger, that that really, how how can it be appreciated? You know, we're ready, we're ready to do a thirty for thirty on you guys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, gee, <Jiminy. laughs> uh, Well, you know, D- Dick and I are really kind of amazed because we have had our statistics compared from through grade school, high school, college, and the pros. And it's almost scary because our statistics are, you could almost just put a mirror over one and it would reflect what the other, what the other statistics were for him, for Dick and for me. And, you know, we're trying to, I've been trying to get a hold of the Lopez brothers uh, who are playing in the NBA right now. Because, because you know, there are some similarities. Uh, there, there really aren't because they, those two brothers, one seems to be performing better than the other, and then there have been some other twins in the league too. Same thing. But the, when Dick and I are just, uh, we're we're not amazed. I, I don't know. And people say, well, how could your statistics be so close to each other? And we don't know really. We must. God must have given us each the same amount of talent because they're 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 really so close. But we're amazed by it, and uh, and we're happy about it. We had a great time playing. We had, you know, we played together, and then we played against each other. And then the last year, we were fortunate enough to get together on the Phoenix Suns and play together. But uh, you know, it's uh, it's. Yeah. <laughs> It's it even to this day we're we've got a little art studio here in old old Scottsdale and we paint and we draw and we do this stuff and people say, oh gosh, it's it's really interesting to see that you're still together, you know. Well, we've got a very close relationship, and then they say something about, gee, you've got the same statistics for those who know it, and uh, it's it's it's. It's unusual, to say the least. It is unique. It it for sure is, and we love hearing. We we always like to start our podcast with what uh, our interviewees are doing now. You mentioned the art studio. You and and your twin brother Dick are in Scottsdale. Talk to us about how you got into art and and why you entered that phase of of your life. Well, when we 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 both retired from the NBA at the same time in 1977, and Dick became part of the Phoenix Suns organization in various capacities. And, and then together on the outside, I, he worked with me in the real estate business. And then after that, uh, we, we did, we did that for a while. And then after that, you know, a couple of years ago, we decided that we're just, we want to retire from any sort of 
business activity. And so we had to find something else to do. And we've always been avid readers and students. And for some reason, we both liked art. And I don't know where we got it. Uh, but Dick had a stroke about 13 years ago, which physically didn't do anything to him, but cognitive, it hurt him quite a bit. So he sometimes can't say exactly what he wants to say, but he started drawing in pen, ink, and pencil and doing art. And then I started doing some oils and we just gradually got more into it. I took some classes. Dick took a few classes. It's just something we enjoy doing and we don't know how it happened, but we've got a little studio, a very small studio here in Old Scottsdale. And we're down here every day doing our arts. And uh, at, at, age seven, at age 77, I'll tell you, Eric, we're just loving it. We love coming down here. and we're, We have people stopping all the time. And the bad thing about it is it's a little business, but it's a negative cash flow business. <laughs> and everybody comes in. All anybody, People that come in here, they don't want to buy art. They just want to talk about the basketball. Yeah, you know? of course. <laughs> so of course. We have a good time doing that. Well, let's take a step back about 77 years to that fateful day, February 22nd, 1943, when your mom uh, was giving birth to you. You pop out. And then how many minutes later? Does your brother pop out? Fifteen minutes later. Now, what's in the, interesting in the doc, about yeah, yeah. Now, what's interesting about that is that fifteen minutes came as a surprise to everyone in that room. Correct. That's right. That, that's right. Mom, mom didn't know she was going to have twins. You know, back then they didn't have the ultrasound like they do today, and all the testing that they can do. So, mom didn't know she was going to have twins. So she, I popped out and. You said, oh, we're done, Doc. And the doc said to mom, said, Hilda, I think you better stay on the table a little bit longer. There's one more in there. Oh, boy. <laughs> and then 15, 15 minutes later, Dick pops out. I said, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. And we, we were premature by about six weeks, and Dick almost didn't make it. And I was not that healthy, but we had a great doctor, so we both made it. It just shows you. It doesn't matter what you are when you come out. It's what happens after that. <laughs> Who would have thought at preemies and small, we'd be 6'5 and 210, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but, your your dad wasn't like, you know what? Once we get him out of the yeah. hospital, I bet they're going to be basketball legends. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. Now, yeah, uh, I don't think he had a clue. Tom, before we go too much further in, I do want to give a shout-out to, I know, a friend of yours and someone who helped us immensely in preparing for this conversation with you, Bill Murphy. Uh, great yes. Indiana University historian, uh, right? Who 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 said to say hello to you for for him, um, and gave well, us a Bill's lot of a great, great guy. We really appreciate it. Yeah, he's good. great. Now, good. Uh, he also shared with me this that your birthday. Do you know that you share a birthday with two other? Well, one definite legend of Indiana, and hopefully one future legend of Indiana. Do you know who the two are? Uh, no. Archie Dees was born on February 22nd. and so, I didn't know. I knew Archie really well, Yeah, but I didn't know that. He was born on, on February 22nd, and freshman sensation of this last year, Trace Jackson Davis for Indiana was born on February 22nd. A few years after you, but he was still born on the same day. You know what? You, know, you guys are amazing. You're telling me things this morning I've never heard before. Well, I you, didn't know Davis was twenty. I didn't know Archie... I, and Dick and I were dear friends with Archie Dees, and 
but we we haven't met the Davis kid because we're, we're so far apart in ages. But I didn't know he was a yeah. February twenty second. Well, well, just so you know, along with Bill Murphy, we have dozens of highly paid researchers who are helping us. You with guys, this. that's yeah, sure we do. Well, <laughs> yeah, their names are Ward and Eric. <laughs> I'm going to have to call Murphy and tell him I want a commission, get some of that money that, <laughs> that you guys paid him for all this stuff. That's fair enough. Fair the, enough. The 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 the, uh, the monetary uh, exchange here is passion. Who's your passion? Uh, okay. and, and it's, it's clear, you know, from f- Bill has such passion and we kind of like to go back to where your passion for the game of basketball began. And what we heard was that when you guys were around five years old, your grandfather put a bucket up. Was that, uh, the beginning of what led you to uh, a life in basketball? Yes, it was. Well, you know, television started in about the 19. 19- 1950, early 50s, and we used to go over to the neighbor's house and watch Indiana University basketball on on the TV. But around that time, a little bit before that, our grandfather, Bill, put, he, actually, he just, there was a tree behind the garage, and he took a backboard, a wooden backboard, and he nailed it up to the tree, and we put a net on it, a rim and all that, and uh, Dick and I started playing one-on-one against each other. And uh, we started playing on grass. And then, you know, for, you, for those who played on grass back in the Midwest, they wear the grass out, it become dust. Yep. And then you start playing on dust, and it, the area gets bigger. And so you've got a basketball court. So that's how we started. And we started playing one-on-one against each other. And we just played and played and played. That's all we wanted to do. Now, I also understand basketball wasn't the only sport you played. You played a little baseball as well? We played little League baseball from about starting at age 11, and uh, we played for the Tigers. Dick and I played, and then we, uh, once we got, um, we played a little bit of tennis at the local park in Greenwood. Um, Then when we got to grade school, a little bit older, we started, uh, uh, we started, I guess when we started in seventh, eighth grade, we started playing football. So we did, we did basketball, baseball, football, and track. And when you played, Until we got into high school. And when you played baseball, now look, this is the thing for all identical twins, and you guys are identical twins. But obviously, the challenge of people that aren't your family telling you apart is something that everyone has to deal with. Uh, how did your? Do you remember how your little league baseball coach told you apart? Yes, he he had Dick and I wear different color baseball caps, <laughs> and uh, one of us, one of. I swear to God, he did. He said one of us was in a green hat, one was in a, a red hat. And I, in literally, you had to register all of your pitchers. And I was a registered pitcher, and Dick was not. So Dick couldn't pitch legally. But one game I was supposed to pitch, and I don't know if it was when I was 11 or 12, but my, my arm was sore and I couldn't pitch. So Dick and I exchanged hats. And Dick pitched the whole game and won. <laughs> I played center field. Our mom, our, hey, our mom and dad didn't even know we switched. They didn't even know it was Dick on the map. So uh, that's our famous little league story, and it's 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 the truth. And is it true that's the only time you did the the twin switcheroo? Well, no. Oh, uh, let's hear uh, that. Well, Dick and I, we we. we we wanted to do it in the in the NBA. We we uh, when we were playing, we played to get 
we played each of us played three all-star games and during one of them two of the years overlapped so one year dick said let's switch jerseys and i don't know the game was either in la or san francisco they could have been yeah one of those two san diego san anyway yeah. dick said tom let's let's switch jerseys for the all and i said I don't want to do it because I was, you know, we both took the game very seriously. And even though it was an all-star game, you know, we took it seriously. So I said, Dick, I don't want to do it. So we didn't do it. We thought about doing it. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we tried, <laughs> we tried to switch dates in college, but women are very, uh, uh, they're very uh, cognizant of differences between, so they can all, Always tell us, women could always tell us apart. Huh. So we I didn't, love that. You know, we tr- we tried, we tried to switch dates, but we did, it never really worked. So when did uh, you're playing all these sports? Uh, you're obviously big kids at this point. Um, you're playing up in basketball when you're in fifth grade. You're playing seventh grade basketball. When did Indiana right. University basketball become something that you and Dick really looked to as as being a a passion and a and a cool thing? Uh, well, we started watching. You're talking about Indiana basketball in general. Uh, Indiana University basketball, yeah. the Hoosiers. Indiana University. Yes. Well, in, in, in 1953, Indiana won the national championship, and they had Don Schlunt was the center. Uh, they had a, a guy named uh, Croc and Farley. Dick Farley actually played in the NBA. They had Bobby Leonard, the Scott brothers. Or I think they were. I think they were brothers, but we watched that team win the national championship on television. In fact, every year, every game that was on TV that year, we watched, and we kept personal score on how many points Don Schlunt would score and how many points Bobby Leonard would score or Dick Farley, and and uh, they went. So we were avid supporters of Indiana University or followers of Indiana University basketball, and in particular that 1953 team. And Branch McCracken was the coach, um, and Chesty Potato Chips was the sponsor. I mean, we were into this. <laughs> we <laughs> we were into this big time, and we loved that Indiana University team. And then we kept following. Him. There was a guy named Wally Choice. I think he was from New Jersey. He was a, a black center that played for. We loved Wally Choice. And then Archie D's came, and then all these other players. And then we followed some of the local ones like Tom Bog. Jimmy Rail, uh, Gary Long, Charlie Hall, all these Indiana players. We just became enamored and we loved Branch McCracken. So we knew from that point on, we were in 1953, we were 10 years old. We knew from that point on, if we were good enough, we were only going to go to Indiana University. Wow. Now, how much of a fandom was there for the Indiana Hoosiers at that point? Because Branch had obviously, you know, had, had a nice run before that. IU had won in 1940, but of course, right. we now all sort of take for granted many national championships and a devoted statewide following. Was was that something that was going on at that time already, or were you guys a, a little more unique in being devoted to the program like that? No, I think you. I think it, it was. I think it was. It was typical of Indiana. Indiana has always been a basketball state. And, you know, in 1940, that was like just, you know, during the war years, Branch became an icon. I mean, he was much better known than a Johnny Wooden. 
In fact, they, UCLA came after Branch to coach UCLA, and Branch said, I don't want to leave Indiana, and he said, you ought to take a look at this Johnny Wooden guy. So Branch actually was was somewhat responsible for Johnny Wooden getting the UCLA job. Wow. And they grew, and Johnny, Johnny Wooden and Branch McCracken grew up very close to each other near Martinsville, Indiana. They knew each other. I think they, I think they played against each other. So they knew each other very well. So Branch was in, instrumental in, in Wooden getting that job. He, he Branch just, was an. He Branch, just wanted to no, get the ahead. Purdue guy out of the, out of state. He was like, we don't <laughs> we, we don't need this guy coaching in Lafayette. We don't need the Purdue. No, he, exactly right. Get him out of there. <laughs> uh, I am. But Branch was just there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask you if you could talk a little bit more about Branch because you know I was a ten year old kid when Bobby Knight was an icon. And for so many listeners, I think, of our podcast, as Ward was kind of talking about, I think there's so many people who think, when they think of Indiana basketball, they think of Bobby Knight, and that kind of sets it for them. But like you said, there there was an icon before Bobby Knight. Tell us what Branch McCracken meant to you and what you thought of him as a a 10-year-old kid growing up loving Indiana. Well, it's kind of interesting you ask me that, because I'm writing a book right now, and it's it's a different kind of a sports book, and it's all about how I played. And I never played in a championship game. It was always kind of how I never got on a, you know, a, a Boston Celtic or a NBA team. And then when we played in college, our first three years at Indiana University, our our school was on probation. We could not play in an NCAA tournament. And so my whole career, high school, we got beaten the final game of the state championship. Which was questionable. We get we couldn't play in the NCAA tournament, uh, uh, and then in the pros, I never I, I scored more points than any other player ever to play in the NBA who hasn't played in the playoff, <laughs> and wow. that's twelve years. That's like so. I'm kind of the early banks of basketball. You know, I never <laughs> I didn't play in one playoff game. So I'm writing this book about what it's like not to win, but how much, even though that happened to me, I still. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. Now, I'm trying to think why I brought that up, because we want to talk about Branch. But Branch was, you know, one of the things I bring up in the book is the book is not about Dick and I are dear friends with Bob Knight. He's one of our closest friends. We do. We've done a lot of things with him over the years. But Bobby Knight has kind of fogged over everything that Branch did. Right. I mean, everybody's talking about Bob Knight, and I understand that. But Branch, nobody thought there would ever be another Branch McCracken. I mean, Branch was an icon. He was handsome, tall, personable. He loved everybody. He, was, he wasn't an X and O coach. He was a run-and-gun coach. But one thing I bring up in my book is he really prepared me for the pros, and Dick also, because he played the brand of basketball where – you had to protect yourself. Like you weren't like I look at Bobby Knight's team. He took some players and won those championships. And if you look at Bobby Knight's players, the only one that really ever did much in the pros was Isaiah Thomas. Right now, Eric Eric Gordon's doing Eric Gordon's doing pretty well right now. But most of the guys that played for Knight didn't do great in the NBA. Right. But Branch had some players in the sixties. I mean, Dick and I were Branch prodigies, and we. We had a pretty good pro career, so mm-hmm. Branch really, really, he we kind of get we kind of try to talk about Branch a lot because Branch was like a he was a Bobby Knight. They just had com- completely different dispositions, and uh, 
it's kind of a shame, really. I mean, you know, time passes and people forget about the old players. They really do. And I know it's it, it just happens. It just happened. No, but Tom, well, it's why we're doing this podcast. It's, because... it's the whole premise of the show is to connect people to the previous eras. And we got to talk yeah. to Steve Green, who went to, he uh-huh. was, of course, Bob Knight's first recruit. He went to Branch McCracken's. I remember Steve. Yeah, yeah. yeah he went to yeah. Branch McCracken's basketball camps growing up as a kid. And even as a small child, uh, there was a connection to Everett Dean. And in talking to him, yes. we we got this, this bird's eye view at the whole program, really all connected through one man. And it just made us realize yeah. there's so much before Bob Knight that we don't know, that very few people know. And thanks to guys like Bill Murphy, you know, that that we can learn it. But we we need you right now to shed so much light on this era of basketball, not only that you played in, but that you grew up in, because this is our first opportunity to talk to somebody firsthand who was a part of the Branch McCracken era. So anytime through this conversation, you want to give us more little insight or anecdotes anecdotes on coach McCracken we would love that and I know our listeners would too because we're we're all striving to have a closer connection and understanding and appreciation for that era okay well it, it's fun to talk about it because Branch was he was a he was a man's man he was I mean he'd walk down the street in Bloomington Indiana of course that's a small town but it, Everybody would say, somebody would walk by Branch and they'd say, hey, Branch, how you doing? And then Branch would say, Branch didn't know who he was, didn't know his name. He'd say, oh, hi, I haven't seen you in a long time. And the <laughs> guy would say, hell, Branch, hell, Branch, I was just with you yesterday. <laughs> you know, he was, you know, he's the kind of guy that, you, you know, I call us people south of Indianapolis, we're hicks. You know, we're kind of. The southern Indiana people are, are a little different than the northern Indiana people. I mean, sure. Yeah, not as know, sophisticated. Our, our, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Our, yeah. Our buddy, our buddy teammate, Steve Redenball, who played for Paoli, he was on our team in Indiana. He used to hunt squirrels and raccoons and possums and eat, eat them for dinner. Oh. You know. <laughs> Steve, Steve was our typical southern Indiana redneck. And we love it. We just absolutely, and that's kind of the way. That's kind of the way Branch was. You know, he was just a Southern Indiana farm boy, and uh, we loved. We he he. Uh, I talk about in my book how our senior year might have been our junior year at Indiana. Dick and I were SAEs, and we were living in the fraternity. Dick and I and John McLaughlin all lived together at the SAE house, and so one day Dick and I got sick with the flu, and it was right during basketball season, and we had we. We were going to miss a game, and during the week, Branch McCracken came over, walked in the front door of our fraternity house, walked up two stories to our, walked in our room, and he had a sack full of groceries with orange juice, bananas, apples, stuff like that to give it to us so we could get healthy. Wow. Now that, you know, that was pretty neat. He comes in with a sack of groceries, and he just walks in and gives them to us, and we'll never forget it. Now, that's incredible. uh, You know, Branch, yeah, Branch... And the other thing Branch did, Branch Branch was a motivator, but he knew who to motivate. Dick and I never needed to be motivated. And I don't remember one time in my whole four-year career in Indiana that he ever gave me or Dick any static. Hmm. Not one time. It was always positive reinforcement. Hmm. And that was good. And, and uh, 
you know, he was just a, just a great guy. Can you talk a little bit about the Hurin Hoosiers? The, the fact that what Branch did on the court, like you said, he wasn't a big X's and O's, run these intricate plays, but he did change the way basketball was played, especially at the college level, by taking it from this kind of slow pass-it-around game to really speeding it up. And can you talk a little bit about, about what it was like to watch that in 1953 and also what it was like to know that you wanted to play in that system? Well, I... I don't remember, quite honestly, when I saw that 53 team play, I don't remember, I, I don't remember the running that much. I just, I don't remember that part. I do know that when I got down there at Indiana, Dick got down there, Branch just preached fast break, fast break, fast break. And it kind of reminded me, of, as I played 12 years in the NBA, Red Auerbach was a big proponent of the fast break and and red had some philosophies about the fast break like you really you make the fast break in the first half of the court not in the back half of the court it's how fast you get that outlet pass out and i will watch guys play today they don't know how to really some of them don't know how to run a fast break you you got to run your butt off and fill the lanes and get out and run hard bob Cousy just how to run he coached me in Cincinnati. Now he was a he was an adherent to the uh, Red Auerbach era, but the fast break was branches. That was branches for. I mean, that was run, 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 run. The hurrying Hoosiers, and so we had to be in shape. We had to run, and I loved that part of the game. I mean, I just loved to get a. I played against Havlicek for twelve years. We overlapped twelve years, and I, you know. We played against each other all the time. Havlicek would run, 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 run. I guarantee you, Havlicek, you know, was great. I could run right with Havlicek. <laughs> Dick yes. could. Because, we, because Branch, that was, was Branch. He said, get the ball out and run, run, run. And boy, is that a great way to play. Now, <laughs> it, the game's changed a lot, as you know. But, you know, the fast break is still very important. But that first hour back always preached that first hour outlet pass. He didn't want a short outlet pass. He wanted an outlet pass probably that would get to the 10-second line. And uh, look what they did with with Russell and all those guys. Turned out pretty well for them. We talked about Branch, and I'm sure we were going to talk more about Branch when we get into you actually arriving in Bloomington. But I want to talk about some other influences and important people in your life, and we would be remiss if we did not talk about your parents. Tell us a little yeah. bit about your, your parents and the role. Tell us what they did for a living and the role that they played in your uh, life and basketball life. Uh, my father was a uh, coach, a teacher, a mathematics teacher in high school, and he went to Wabash College. He, he grew up in Indiana, in, in Greenwood, Indiana, and he went to Wabash and he ran track. And in 1923, he finished second in the broad jump in the NCAA meet. That's the big meet. Wow. He went to a very small school. He jumped 23-6 at that time. It was a record at Wabash College for over 50 years. But wow. dad was fa- dad was fast, athletic. And in the, the guy that beat him out of the uh, broad jump in 1923 at the NCAA meet was Hard Hubbard, who was a black athlete from the University of Michigan who went on to win the Olympics in 24. Wow. So no dad was a that. good athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Dad was a good athlete. He taught, he was a kind of a quiet, shy, uh, 
negative type person. Mom, on the other hand, grew up in Banco, Indiana, which is not too far from Fort Wayne, Indiana, probably north of Peru a little bit. Up, and she up, up there in the sophisticated uh, reaches of Indiana, right? She yeah. was from the northern part. She was smart. But the people in Purdue weren't that I mean, people in Peru weren't that smart. But <laughs> there, it is. Look, there it is. If, if you went a little bit further away, you got a little bit smarter. <laughs> my, anyway, my wife is anyway. from Fort Wayne and she would agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my my mother grew up on a farm. She went to St. Mary's, which was the girls' part of Notre Dame. She became a kind of a secretary. She eventually became a secretary for one of the assistant principals at Manual High School, where my dad taught school. And she was just the opposite of that. She was the, she could walk through a pasture of cow dung and think it smelled like clover. <laughs> I mean, she, she, I have to tell you, she was the, she was the only person at Bobby Knight's second wedding. Bobby Knight got divorced from his first wife and married Karen and mom. And the pastor and Bob and Karen were the only four people at the wedding. Wow. So my mom was, if you said anything bad about Bobby Knight to my mother, she might hit you with an umbrella. I mean, she was just, but she loved Branch McCracken too. And mom and dad were, they, they were, mom was a very strong, positive reinforcement. My father was, was a, had a problem with depression, uh, when we got beat in the state tournament at, by Kokomo High School in overtime, it threw him into a real tizzy. He couldn't get over it. But he would say things like, well, you should have gone to a different high school. You would have done better. And then when we went to Indiana University and we didn't get to play in the NCAA tournament, he would say things like, well, you should have gone to Kentucky or UCLA or Ohio State. So he, he was always one of those people who was – the net looked at the negative part of it and it, it really did affect me. Uh, I've even had some counseling about it because sure. dad was, dad was negative and Oh my gosh, we, we played a game in grade school uh, against the little Casca Catholic school from the South side of Indianapolis. We were in the eighth grade and we, we got beat 48 to 12 by this Catholic team. And so we were driving home after the game and dad said, you know, Hilda, Hilda was my mother. She was, she was driving the car. He said, Hilda, pull the car over. I'm going to get out of the car. And Hilda said to my dad, said, well, why are you getting out of the car? He said, I, I can't ride home with, with losers like these guys. Mm. So that really had, and I love my dad to this day. He just had the negative attitude and he suffered from depression and it's kind of a sad scene, but my mother was just the opposite. She is our hero and she, you know, the, but I will say this, they didn't force us to play sports. They were very supportive, but they weren't like a parent who told us everything to do and criticized or told us you got to do this different. They just let us play and they cheered for us and they supported us, but they were not the kind of parents that, you know, get upset and yell and all that sort of thing. So you saw Indiana, the Indiana University Hoosiers win the national championship in 1953 a year, yes. a year, which is an amazing achievement. Obviously, it was Indiana's second national title. But a year later, right. a, a more improbable and incredible championship took place in the state of Indiana in the high school basketball tournament. And I understand that your father 
who, besides his regular uh, day job, would also uh, either volunteer or be part of helping to take tickets at the state tournament. And I think you have, right. a, you have a story about that national ch- or that that state championship game in '54. What can you tell us about that? Dick and I were 11 years old, and Dad took tickets, and he, his area to cover was actually right down by the floor. And uh, you know, I don't know, Ward. You've probably seen Butler Fieldhouse, Eric. I don't know if you have, but it's got an mm-hmm. elevated. It's got an elevated floor. And Dad was right down there by the elevated floor taking tickets for people who would come in to sit in the lower part of Butler Fieldhouse. It's called Hinkle Fieldhouse now. Sure. Right? We always called it Butler Fieldhouse. So anyway, Dad took Dick and me to the game. <clears throat> we didn't even have tickets. He just took us. And we were we sat, he sat us on the edge of the floor, which you couldn't even do today. But Dick and I were sitting on the edge of the floor. And when Bobby Plump, who he was the guy in the movie Hoosiers that hit the jump shot to win the game at the end. When Bobby Plump took the jump shot to hit the hit the basket to win the state championship, Dick and I couldn't have been more than twenty feet away from him, sitting right behind him, and we watched we watched the shot go all leave his hand and go all over the basket and go in. So we actually saw Bobby Plump hit that jump shot. Wow. And you know when people when people say today say oh that Hoosiers movie was one of the greatest movies we've ever seen, I said well Dick and I were sitting on the floor right behind Bobby Plump when he hit the jump shot, <laughs> and, and and we and we've talked to Bobby a little bit we know him everybody knows Bobby Plump in Indianapolis, and uh, we told him that and uh, we 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 talk to him every once in a while about that. Was the portrayal of that game in the movie fairly accurate? Did, were, did they just seem totally outmatched and overwhelmed by Marion at first and then kind of claw their way back in? And and did it seem to you early on in the game that they would have even a chance to be there at the end? Well, as I, re- as I remembered, it was, see, Milan had, a, Milan the year before had that basically that same team. So they were a good team. And uh, I don't really remember what the point spreads were at various times in the game, but I, I think it was a closely fought game, if I remember right. But I just I can't remember specifics. The movie itself, I'm sure, was embellished a little bit with the alcoholism of the uh, shooter and you know the, the one guy yeah. and uh, Gene Hackman. I mean, I, I don't know how much he embellished that. I wasn't sitting in the locker room and all that stuff, but. What a great movie it was. I no mean, it, was, it was really wonderful. Well, you seem to have this uh, sort of destiny with the game of basketball, having the perfect teammate and opponent come out of the womb 15 minutes after you. You're watching Branch McCracken do his thing as you're growing up. You get a witness history with, with Bobby Plump and the shot. Now, as you're getting into high school, what is it like – to be playing basketball in the state of Indiana at the high school level um, in the midst of this really a golden era of basketball for the state? Was it just, was it a a rock star type thing where, were you guys the big men on campus? Was it a a feverish around basketball like that? It was unbelievable. And I think back on it while I'm doing this book and I, and Dick and I, of course, we're together every day. We, basketball is ingrained in us it is yeah. to this day it's ingrained in us it was our love 
love. It was our passion. We used to lay awake at night worrying and really worrying and getting really down about whether we would ever make it to the state finals of the Indiana State Basketball Tournament. I mean, it, it, was, it was to the point where really there were times we were very unhappy because we wanted it so badly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think, being one point I bring out that I brought out recently is there was hardly a day go- that went by in Indiana when Dick and I weren't in the newspaper someplace. No. I mean, it was almost embarrassing. <laughs> and our parents, I mean, our parents taught us to be very humble and don't, you know, don't pound your chest like these guys do today and all that stuff. So, but when I think back, you know, with, with, with Bobby Plump in 54 winning that championship. And then, of course, the next year, our idol, Rob, Oscar Robertson, came on the scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And he basically he basically just somehow changed our lives. I mean, Oscar was unbelievable. And so he wins it in 55 and 56. And then you get, then you get Hallie Bryant. Uh, well, that, Hallie was before Oscar Robertson. But then you get these teams after that. And then Kokomo with, with uh, Jimmy Rail. And Fort Wayne Southside had a great team. In '59, with Tom Bollard, the McCoys, the Stavretties, and Richie Miller. I mean, I know, I know all those guys. And <laughs> them. and you know, so when we played, it was like Dick and I really didn't realize how big it was. We just loved going out and playing, and we just knew we got a lot of attention. But we also were stressed a lot of the time because because we we were worried about whether we were going to win or not. I mean, you know, every game, they talk about these games, every game is a challenge. We lost the first game of our senior year. We we lost the game to Cathedral High School. And that's the year, you know, we went 28-3 and went to the state finals. So, you know, it was, it was, it was nerve, it was nerve wracking. It was tense. And I don't think I really realized how big it is until I look back on it now, because it was really, Indiana is crazy for basketball. Yeah. I mean, it's just nuts for basketball. <laughs> and I'm I'm sure you were playing in front of you know full houses every every game that season. No, you just packed to the gills. Oh yeah, we 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 our high school gym was always packed, and then when we went on the road, it was always packed. I mean, word gets around when somebody's good, and they come and see you. That that is incredible. Uh, you also had it is. the the stress of just. You know, obviously, it was the attraction of these identical twins who are both big and strong and excellent at basketball. There, there is a level of pressure and focus that comes with just that story. But you also had another level of pressure or stress, I should say, if I'm not mistaken, in that when you decided to go to Manual High School instead of the local Greenwood, didn't you receive some flack from the folks in Greenwood about not staying home and going to that high school? We did. We received a lot of flack and some of the town, it was only a town of 2,500 people. And some of the people in the town were, they, they, they were angry. They were angry at our parents. They were mad at Dick and me. And you know, the, the ones that weren't at us were our high school our, our classmates. They were okay with it. You know, right. They wanted us to stay, but they were happy for us. But the, so there was some, there was some definite anger and, uh, hurt feelings. Um, no doubt about it. I don't think we got any great threats, but we did get mom and dad spoke about it often how some of the people treated them differently. Right. So 
So uh, it didn't. It didn't bother Dick and me. Well, well, did you guys? I'm I'm curious. Charting your relationship, you know, starting out turning your your lawn into a, a dust basketball court from a young age. How how often did you guys get after each other, get mad at each other, or or were you pretty congenial and supportive most time? I, I'm just sort of curious because clearly it's been a, a a whole life with all its twists and turns, and you guys are still together. But I just wonder what the dynamic is. Well, uh, if you if you separate it into before before high school. And after high school, before high school, let's say from the fourth grade to the eighth grade, Dick and I just kicked the shit out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I need to tell you, it got awful. And we would play. <laughs> the good thing is we, we all somebody good to play against. Yeah. So we would go, we would play one-on-one all the time in our backyard. And mom would yell and say, boy, it's time to come in for dinner. And we'd say, we can't yet. We've got to finish this game. And if we were playing best out of three, let's say Dick was up two games to one, I'd say, Mom, we got to play another game because I'm down two to one. <laughs> so that at that point, I would be so mad at Dick. There's no way he could have beaten me. So we would, well, I, would win the, I would win the fourth game, which means we were tied two to two. So then we could go in and have dinner because we were both happy. <laughs> but we, oh, we used to get, we used to get in so many fights. Mom and dad thought we were going to kill each other. <laughs> we, had, we had an aunt that used to babysit for us. She was a school teacher in New York. And she would come home in the summer and sometimes she would babysit. Mom and dad would be gone and she, she would actually think Dick and I were going to kill each other. It scared her to death. Oh, <laughs> we, had this, we had this rule. If we got into a fight, we would never hit each other above the neck. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to put your fist into a chest or, a, you know, something. You couldn't hit the guy in the face. So that was a rule. <laughs> after, after we got into high school, all that changed. And what was it? Did you both realize at that point that basketball was becoming something more serious and you could help just support each other to get to that next level? Or did you just mature? Yes, and I think we were both. The good thing was we were, we were both equal and we, we, we matured a little bit. You know, right. I've, whenever I see young twins now, boys mainly, I'll say, if they're like seven or eight, I say, do you guys get along? And they kind of look at me like, yeah, but I know they've been getting, I know they've been getting into fights. <laughs> they can't lie to me. <laughs> you get it. You see right through it. So I know what's going on. So your high school career, your sophomore, you play JV as a freshman. Your sophomore yes. year, you lose the sectional. Your junior year, you right. win the sectional, but lose the regional. And then your senior right. year, you win the sectional, you win the regional, and you get all the way to that final game. You are now Milan in the championship game, that thing that you got to see several years before. You're in that That's right. the, the absolute pinnacle of where you can be in the state of Indiana. And walk us through what you remember about that game against Kokomo. Well, I remember taking the floor, and I remember thinking, what in the heck am I doing here? How did I get here? It's surreal because, you know, back then it was all one's one's class, and there were like, there were six or seven hundred teams competing to get to that final game. Right, unbelievable. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, how did we get here? And and I always always had that doubt: Am I good enough? And my book talks about that. How am I good enough to be here? Because I really 
had lost a lot of confidence in myself because of, I think, what my dad said to me. Mm. So I was always always thought I wasn't quite good enough. And that lasted until I got to the pros, even in college. But mm. having said that, going on the floor that night, I thought, are we good enough? You know, they had Richie Scott, uh, who was a very, very good player. They had Ronnie Hughes. They had Goose Ligon, who played in the ABA. They had a guy named Babe Pryor. They had... Uh, uh, a guy named Cox. They had a very, very good team. And actually, probably all in all, they had a better team than we did. But but we get out there and we start playing. We go into, we're down to like two minutes to go. And nobody was really shooting that well. Um, you know, it's a tense game. And we're we're leading by about seven points, I think, with between a minute and two minutes to go. And all of a sudden, I fouled out and things went haywire some fouls were called and we lose the game but dick and i dick and i were kind of numb after the game it really was numbing because we had that game wrapped up and you know at the end of the game they give the winning team get the gold ring and the losing team gets a silver ring and dick and i got those silver rings and it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same as getting the gold ring, obviously. Sure. So we were we were downcast. We were unhappy. But we also, the thing that kept us going was we knew we, knew we weren't done playing basketball. Mm-hmm. We knew we were going to be going to Indiana. We knew we were going to be playing college ball. We had, we had thoughts about the pros, but our next thought was about, was about college. And my gosh, we were going to go to Indiana and be Hoosiers, which is, you know, that was our dream also. And, so and we play for you know, we got over and playing for brand. I mean, amazing. Yeah. I mean, how yeah, much? Yeah, it's a, it was really good. Yeah. I, well, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, well, I would imagine, and and we all know the classic thing to say is individual awards don't mean as much as team awards. But did right. it help take the sting off when you and your twin brother are named co Mister Basketball for the state of Indiana? I think it did. You know, I think back, that's quite an honor. And, and it, and it did take, it did take some of the sting out of it because there were some people that thought maybe, maybe a player from Kokomo should have been named Mr. Basketball, but they weren't. Dick and I were named Mr. Basketball. And so, yeah, that's a, we cherish that honor to this day. And, uh, it, it certainly helped. Um, actually when we won, we had one game in that state tournament that really catapulted the Mr. Basketball, I think. And that's when we played against Christmas Addicts in the final game of the regionals. And Christmas Addicts was the all-black high school in Indianapolis. They had beaten us in the final game of the city tournament that year. And they were really good. And so we, we had to play them in the final game of the, of the regionals. And we thought, boy, how are we going to beat these guys? I mean, they are so good. Our coach, Dick Cummins, put installed a double post with Dick and me down on both sides of the free throw lane. And the th- we, it was like a 3-2. We had a guard, the guard in the center, and the other guard were out front. And Dick and I were the double post. And they ran, Dick and I would scissor back and forth and go to the free throw line and come back and screen for each other. And we beat Christmas Addicts 55 to 44. Mm-hmm. And Dick and I scored, outscored the whole Addicts team. We scored 43 points, and Addicts scored uh, 
let's see, 53, and Attic, we scored 45, and Attic scored 44. Wow. Well, that was, that's really what got us, because that, that was a key game. And if we wouldn't have won that game, we probably would not have been Mr. Basketballs. Wow. So, well, now that was a... Well, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, one and only twin brothers to be co-Mr. Basketball. I, it's just, I, I want to keep pointing out how incredibly unique this is. I'm sure not just in the, the state of Indiana, but in the entire game of basketball. It's just so rare and so special. And let's not forget, in the era of single-class basketball, I know as a Peru boy, you know, just to win sectional is a huge deal. And that you guys did win sectional and regional, that there had to be so much joy in that season, even if it ended in the way you you felt disappointment, it would still had to be a really magical time in your life. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it was magical. And you know that uh, did you guys saw that movie? Uh, the baseball player was Field of Dreams. Of course. And, and you saw the cars lined up at night with their lights on, and that's kind of what that state tournament is like. I mean, the whole state—you could probably draw a line from every corner of the state. You'd have those lights lined up going toward uh, Butler Fieldhouse. It was just—it it, just—it's like. <laughs> Unreal. It's, it's unreal. It's one of the great indelible images from the movie Hoosiers, as we talked about, where you see the team bus going from city yeah. to city to play, and you just see a line never ending behind them of of yeah. the cars from in the movie Hickory following them to, to the game. Yes. So yeah. here you are, yeah. fresh off your co Mr. Basketball Awards. You know and Dick knows you're going to Indiana because you've worshipped Branch McCracken for well over, you know, since you were 10 years old. And right. th this is going to be the thing. But a lot of other places don't know that you're definitely going to Indiana, including a man named Adolph Rupp from Kentucky. What, <laughs> what did Mr. Adolph Rupp do to try to get you all to come to Kentucky? Well, he actually drove from Lexington to our little town of Greenwood and sat in our living room with Dick and me and mom and dad and talked to us about how, how great Kentucky was. So he personally came up with a, with, a, with one of his players, I think it was a guy named Tosopoulos or Tosopoulos, who was one of his former players, who's probably helped him recruit quite a bit. And he put on his, you know, his Southern drawl and his t dog and pony show. I think we, I think Adolph knew that we were pretty set on Indiana, but he came up anyway. And that was an honor to have Adolph Rupp come up and sit in our living room. And, uh, you know, we knew what his reputation was. We knew about the University of Kentucky. And we had just finished playing the Kentucky-Indiana High School All-Star game down in, down in Louisville. So You played pretty uh, well in that game, you guys, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We had good games. You both scored uh, we, 24, right? Something like that. Dick was Dick got the most valuable. That's now Dick got most valuable player for Indiana and Vic Bender, who was a kid for Kentucky, got the other side of it, and I didn't get one, so I was really mad. At <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, Vic Bender came to Indiana as a freshman because Dick and I talked to him after the game, and we said, Vic, you want to come to Indiana and play? And he did. Oh, but wow. Vic flunked out. Yeah, Vic flunked out. Well, yeah, because he was from Kentucky. Uh, of course he did. Yeah. <laughs> of course he did. I mean, if there's anything worse than Peru there intellect, it's Kentucky intellect. <laughs> 
so, Tom, I, I mean, look, we all know Adolph Rupp's reputation, too. I don't believe that yeah. all he did was tell you how great Kentucky was to get you to come there. What else did he offer you to come to Kentucky? You know what? This is interesting. He didn't. He didn't offer us any sort of money under the table or car, a car or anything. You know, back then, that hardly ever happened. I mean, it just didn't happen. Okay. Uh, I mean, if I at this point in my life, if it would have, I could, I would tell you. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't ever. Now, here's, here's what could happen. After they leave and they're talking to our, after they're going out and they're talking to our parents. Sometimes these guys talk to the parents and say, "Look, you get your boys to come down there. We'll give them something." Right. right. But he did not direct. He did not directly offer Dick and me anything, as I remember. Branch didn't. Branch didn't have to offer us anything because we we told him we were coming. Right. But uh, no, the only difference you know, I, was a week after Adolph Rupp left your house, Hilda was driving a new Cadillac. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I can't see mom driving a Cadillac anyway, but <laughs> that didn't happen. Well, uh, you said Branch really didn't have to recruit you because he knew you were coming. But but how did yeah. that process work? I, I believe you had an uncle who was close with them. How how did it all yeah. come together that it, it was official? You guys were going to come be Hoosiers because I'm sure recruiting was a little bit of a different beast back then yeah uh as i my uncle john uh went to indiana university he knew he knew branch mccracken he knew lou watson who was branch mccracken's assistant coach he knew those guys very well so uncle john you know uncle john didn't say guys you got to go to indiana but he wanted us to uh but there was a line of communication between Branch McCracken and my uncle and, and Lou Watson. And, uh, you know, I don't remember how it actually happened if we just called Branch and said, you know, we're signing this letter of intent or we're definitely coming. We went to, we went to, to honor our father. We went with, with dad over to Wabash College just because dad went there. We went up and toured Butler, I mean, uh, Purdue, because, because it was Purdue and we, felt like we had to do that because you felt you I, needed I, to to mess with them just to screw with them no no <laughs> we, we, you know we never thought that was we didn't i swear to god it was so we were so naive and we just wanted to be nice to purdue and say right. okay we at least went up and talked to them we went over and talked to wabash i think we talked to butler on the phone and told them that we were that we were going to go to indiana so we talked really to kentucky wabash purdue and then on the phone with butler we had a friend that went to butler and he was kind of pushing us to go to butler and then the other one was the was a uh west point mm. we had a neighbor who whose son-in-law went to the west point john uffner and he he was talking to West Point. He said, "You guys got to go to West Point." And then we got we got some some uh, contact with the Air Force Academy because Dick and I had good grades, so we could have gone, you know, to any of those Ivy League schools or the academies. But we didn't want to. We wanted to go to Indiana, hmm. and that's the only place we were going to go. And we did. We never got any offers of money, cars. You know, we never got into that. Wow. 
Now, there's a couple things I want to touch on as you get to Indiana. I want to hear about your first impressions of being on the campus, but I'm not exactly sure on the timing of this. And as we talk about all these incredible things going on in, in your life and, and Dick's life and finally realizing the dream of playing for Branch McCracken, there's also the reality of what's going on in the world, which is the Vietnam War. And mm-hmm. and you guys don't quite hit that height restriction where you are would be exempt from the draft. So you would That's be right. eligible for the draft. How and what did you do to to deal with that as you're about to go into college? Well, we didn't have to worry about it until we graduated because I think they I think they let you stay in college until you graduated and then then you were uh uh, available for the draft. Got it. So this was I at the just, end of your college career. I jumped ahead too early then. Yeah, in about I don't know exactly when did we Vietnam War started. It was the middle sixties. Uh, what year was it? Do you know? I think it what was it was sixty seven. Sixty eight. I don't know. But, but anyway, we were everybody in our fraternity house was aware of what was going on, and when we graduated, uh, I went up and I had to what was it i was living in i was i was a rookie in detroit and i had i was called to go take the examination for the for the army and so i had to go downtown detroit and take an examination which i did and and i passed it obviously it's like taking a first grade math test (laughs) and i passed it and so then dick and i thought well you know we're healthy we'll we could get drafted so we both signed up for the Air National Guard. We joined the Indiana Air National Guard in Terre Haute, Indiana. And that was the first part of 1970, let's see, 1966. We joined the Indiana Air National Guard in Terre Haute and we served in the Air National Guard for six years. Wow. Now we were, we were susceptible to being called to Vietnam and we thought we were gonna be called at one point, they called. They were going to call up a unit from Indiana, and instead of calling up our unit, they called up a unit from from Columbus, Indiana. So we never got called to Vietnam, but we did spend six years in the Air, Indiana Air National Guard. Wow. All right, so let's go back to uh, because that was my fault for skipping ahead. But now you get to realize, now you get to realize your dream of going to become an Indiana Hoosier and playing for the icon that you have worshipped, I would assume, because, like, I mean, again, relating it to what I know, I worshipped Bobby Knight when I was a kid. It was like he was everything. And I was six foot one and a Jewish kid from St. Louis, Missouri, so I wasn't going to be able to play for Bobby Knight. But you get to realize your dream. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. Could you shoot? Uh, shoot? I could shoot a little bit, but I couldn't run. I couldn't jump. (laughs) I could take a charge, though, Tom. I could take a charge. I got you. I got you. So now you get to go to Bloomington. You're moving away from home with your twin brother. What is it like? What do you, what do you remember as your first impressions from just stepping on campus and being a student at IU? I was scared to death. And, and, and I was scared of two things. First of all, Dick and I were always good students, and I was worried about studying. And I thought, gee, college sounds really tough. So that worried me. And then when you go to registration, registration is a nightmare. Even though we got some priorities because we were athletes, we still had to go through the 
the registration process and all that. And I think for any new, any new student, that's kind of an uneasy feeling. So we did that. And, you know, just to, just to think that my first year I was going to take uh, calculus from Mr. Hachigian. Now, Mr. <laughs> Hachigian, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Hachigian, Professor Hachigian was Russian descent, and he taught calculus. And I thought I died when I got in his class. I was so scared. <laughs> then we went into our French class, and we we had a Frenchman teach teach. Dick and I are Southern Hicks trying to take French, and this guy is from France, and he <laughs> wants you to enunciate French the way it's supposed to be enunciated. Well, I mean, gee, me, Christmas, that was scary. So, any, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? We were, we were, both, we were both numb, and we were good students anyway. So that was a scary part. So that all that, you know, adaptation to big time. Now we're in the big time. Yeah. And then basketball was scary because we didn't know any of these kids coming in. I mean, we knew John McLaughlin. A little bit, but not much. So all these kids coming from different schools around Indiana, we didn't know we didn't know anything about them. So Dick and I are out there. We got to prove ourselves. We've got to prove ourselves to these guys that we deserve to be down there. And oh, here's two guys coming in who all they knew all, all of them knew us, but we didn't know them mm. because we didn't play against most of them. And, and uh, did you get a sense that they, because again, you were stars in the state of Indiana. Your story was yeah. unique. Did you get a sense yeah. that they kind of resented that before they got to know you? Like they're going to show you? Did you feel that? No, we okay. didn't. Good. No, they were great. Uh, good guys. To this, friend, to this day, we're friends with a lot of them. They're special friends. And no, we didn't feel that way at all. Uh, we got any. You know, freshman, we couldn't. We we had to play the varsity then. We couldn't play uh, other team, other schools, because we were on probation. So, and no, every that was a rule for everybody in the country. Freshmen couldn't play varsity basketball. Right. So we would play. You know, we would play uh, between ourselves prior to the varsity game. So, no, we 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 became very good friends and very close. But Dick and I had that sense that we were expected to be the best players. Mm. You know, we had all this. It, when well, you're expected to be something and you're coming in and you say, oh, this guy's probably, they're going to put you on a pedestal. And they're going to say, well, you know, you still got to prove yourself. Right. And so that was a, that was a challenge. It was, it was a challenge. I mean, we, we did well, but it was a challenge because we knew we had to do it. You had and, a, uh, a pretty good senior on that team named Jimmy Rail. Can you talk a little bit about what he provided as far as leadership goes and just what kind of player he was? Well, Jimmy was a Jimmy was a junior when we were freshmen. Oh, okay. Your your first year so playing, he, he was a senior. Yeah, our first, our sophomore year, he was a senior. Got it. Jimmy 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 was a different kind of a guy. We were much closer to Tom Bolliard. Who played at Fort Wayne Southside? Tom Bolliard was was much more of an inspiration to us than than was Jimmy Rail. Mm. How so? Tom well, Bolliard. Well, Tom Bolliard was more of a team player. He, Jimmy had Jimmy was Jimmy could be difficult. And Dick and I visited Jimmy before he died up in Cocomel, Indiana, a couple of years ago, and we talked to Jimmy. Jimmy was very insecure. Um, Jimmy had, Jimmy was put on his pedestal at a very early age and, you know, let's face it. When a guy takes that many shots, uh, he's like a Pete Maravich <laughs> yeah. or a Rick Mount, you know, they, you know, you look at him differently. I mean, sure. 
he just didn't he didn't fit in socially or however you want to say it with the rest of us like you would normally think would happen hmm. it's probably because he he's different, from, from kokomo too that doesn't help well yeah and he's and, and kokomo is very close to peru uh, <laughs> yes but they're miles apart there's different cultures it's it's yeah <laughs> Yeah, Wait, it's a little let, close, too close to Peru. I now, like, I, wanna, I like that Tom really slow plays the insults to Peru. He just <laughs> he hides them and really crushes it really oh, well. Yeah. I because I was prepared to take some flack for my my Peru heritage <laughs> before we even got on the air, and I'm just wondering. What's your problem with Peru? You have something against the circus? Is it the circus? Are you afraid I, of clowns? You know what? No, you know what? As I remember. Peru had Kyle Macy. That's right. Right? Yep. Kyle May. I love Kyle Macy. He's a good man. Uh, I don't know. I don't think. I can't remember anybody else from Peru. Or is there? A, is there an army or base up there? Are yes. You there, Grissom uh, Air Force Base is our buffer. Yeah, yeah, our yeah. buffer between us and Kokomo. Okay. In case Kokomo you know, ever tried to attack, we had Grissom. But by the way, <laughs> here here is my problem with Peru. If it's such a good place, if it's such an Indiana town, mm-hmm. how is it that that town produced the greatest basketball player it had ever produced, and he went to Kentucky? Well, it's worse because he went to Purdue first, right? I mean, you're the wor- Peru is the worst. Peru is the worst oh, for yeah. producing that. I mean, I'm not saying we don't <laughs> well, disown both Kyle Macy and John Garrett, our other great player who went to Purdue full time. Uh, but for mm-hmm. for their time in in Peru, Kyle won Mr. Basketball, and uh, we just have to right. be grateful for that and ignore everything that happened afterwards. <laughs> well, you know, you know, Kyle is a great kid. He was out here for the Phoenix Suns, and I think. The, the things finally caught up with Kyle because I saw him not too long ago, and Kyle is very handsome. He had a big head of hair. I think he's going bald. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I think he's losing his hair. Karma, karma. That's right. All right. That's so right. anyway, so uh, you're scared. School is in is intimidating. The basketball stuff is intimidating. Yeah. I I I'm just trying to get in your head, Tom. You and Dick's head about. You are playing now for the idol, the icon branch. What what mm-hmm. is your memory of like just your first interaction with him as he's not the guy that you're looking up to anymore. You're not a fan of his. He's your coach. And what yeah. how did that relationship start? Well, of course he didn't coach the freshman. You know, we had a freshman coach, but Branch would come by obviously a lot. I remember, you know, I, I never lost I never lost my respect for Branch or what I felt about him. I always felt good about him. I also felt, because he was my coach, that no matter what game we played in, I thought we had a chance to win it. I don't know why we had such a bad junior year, but we did. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't explain that. But our senior year turned around. I always thought just because Branch was our coach, we were going to win. But he, you know, he was just, he was just a guy. He was just fun to be around. I mean, he was a raw, raw guy. He, you know, I think it was our sophomore, junior year. He, Branch would always say, if if one of his players would fall down running a fast break, he'd say, get up, you're not hurt. Get up, you're not hurt. <laughs> well, you might have broken your leg, but he still would say, get up, you're not hurt. Well, one day in practice, 
he was in the middle of the floor with his whistle, and somebody ran over him. It was either Dick or me, and he fell down. And all the players got around him and said, get up. You're not hurt. And you know what? You can't do that with every coach. But Branch took it like a trooper. You know, here we are, young. Get up, Branch. You're not hurt. <laughs> well, that's kind of that's kind of sassy, you know. And here's your leader. But that Branch, that didn't bother Branch one bit. <laughs> so he always had guys over to his house. His wife was very much involved with the team. It was like a family. And you hear that about a lot of teams today. Um Lou Olson was known for that down at the University of Arizona, and a lot of coaches are like that. But Branch really created a, a family-type atmosphere. Now, could you uh, illuminate why the program was on probation during your time there? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the whole athletic program was on probation because a year before we went down there, uh, they had a coach, I think it was under Phil Dickens's coaching it for the football team they got slapped for some sort of a recruiting violation it must have been serious because because of the football program and its recruiting violations the ncaa slapped a four-year probation on all athletic teams at indiana university it had nothing to do with it had nothing to do with the basketball program track baseball anything. it was all football recruiting violations oh. and we got hit for it yeah now when you were sort of questioning, you know, not having a great junior year, I'm wondering for for that tenure, did do you think that hurt with getting other recruits there? Do you think it oh, took yes. any of your motivation away even from from, you know, maybe being the best team you possibly could be because you knew there was no postseason? There's no doubt about it. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that it it had to hurt recruiting. Now, I wasn't involved in recruiting, obviously. I was a player. They didn't. You know, I think I think we did, my senior year, we went up and talked to Rick Mount, um, or he came down to Indiana and we talked to Rick Mount. But in general, in fact, in my book, I say, why would any kid of any notoriety as a basketball player coming out of high schools in Indiana want to go to, univer- want to, go to Indiana University in 1961 to play basketball? Why did Dick and I do it? Hmm. We were going into a, we were going into a program that we couldn't play in a tournament for three years. The first tournament we played in was our senior year. We played in the Memphis Classic in Memphis, Tennessee. We won. It was just a four-team tournament. Yeah, but a good we four walked, teams. A good four. We teams. walked. Oh, we walked over everybody. We kicked. They kicked. They kicked them back. That was the first tournament, and then of course the. The Big Ten that the Big Ten that year, Michigan had Bill Bunton. To this day, I don't know how they ever beat us because Bill Bunton, he was a rookie in Detroit when I was there, and I said, "Oh my God, how did this guy ever beat us? He wasn't that good." <laughs> but they had they had Cassie Russell, Oliver Garden. They had great Tree Gonning. They had some great players on the team. Minnesota had Lou Hudson and Archie Clark. Those are two of the best pros I ever played against. Illinois had a great team. Iowa had a great team. At one time, there were four teams in the Big Ten that were rated in the top ten. Now, only the winner of the Big Ten could go to the NCAA championship, and we didn't win it. We had we exactly hit the hit the right time. And then, who it did hurt our recruiting. There's no doubt about it. It hurt our recruiting. If we had one more, one more 
you know, let's say grayer. We we'd have done well. I'm, I mean, I have to imagine but, you guys decided to go to Indiana because you're like all Indiana fans. You're crazy. You just love IU so much. You you just had to be a part of what you grew you up what? loving. You are exactly right. We we weren't going to go anyplace else, and that's 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 how it all happened. Wow. All right. I want to go back now to your sophomore year. So your first year playing. And the first game, you play against Virginia. I believe it's December 1962. What do you remember just from, like, the butterflies and the buzz going into your first game actually playing for the Indiana Hoosiers? You, you want me to give you an honest answer? Yes. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I swear to God, I don't remember anything. I tell you, though, that... Uh, I know my attitude would have been, oh, Dick and I are starting. I mean, we're sophomores, and Dick was starting at guard. I was starting forward. So Dick would have been opposite Jimmy Rail in the backcourt. I would have been opposite Tom Bollier as forwards. And our center, I don't even remember who our center was. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I know my feeling would have been, am I good enough? What am I doing here? Right. And I don't know how many points we scored to First game, I have I can't I have no recollection. I think you scored nine, and Dick had eleven, and you won the game against Virginia. All right, there you go. <laughs> Look, this is great. You get to like I get to like you guys are great. <laughs> do, now, do, you, do you think Larry, do you think Larry Cooper was your center because he's the only one listed as a center, and he was the tallest on the team at at six seven. Larry Cooper was the center. There you go. And Larry Cooper was a junior. He was a junior college transfer, and uh, yeah, he was our center. So now that season, you started seven and nine. It wasn't a great start. You did finish though on a nice run where you won six of your last eight games. But within that stretch, you did something that we always like to talk about, which is you beat Purdue both times. Now, I know you were nice to Purdue. You were nice to Purdue when you went and visited with Dick. But how quickly at Indiana did the hatred for Purdue set in? Because we love to hear about people hating Purdue. (laughs) Well, you know what? We don't like Purdue. Yes. I mean, you know, we get people stopping by our studio all the time from Indiana, and sometimes they're from Purdue. I do like Purdue, but... From a basketball standpoint, I mean, Terry Dishinger is a good friend of mine. Terry was at Purdue, played on the Olympic team, and Terry went to Purdue. I like Terry. Mel Garland has played at Purdue against us. He's the one that did a did a flop in the regionals to beat us in high school. So, mm. I, you know, I, that's my opinion. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, Purdue, you know, we always said we always said that Indiana had. I had prettier girls than Purdue did. Yes. That's the first thing. Yeah, and, and then we always said that Purdue had all the farmers with the cow shit on their shoes, <laughs> and Indiana was, <laughs> 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 which is which is okay. I like farmers, really. Yeah, I like farmers too. But you're speaking uh, our language now, Tom. <laughs> so anyway. We really, we really did not like to play Purdue. I mean, there was just something about playing Purdue that was jinxed. And, you know, we played against Dave Shellhouse. And, you know, Dave's, my brother talked to Dave a little bit. So, you know, you forget that a guy 
guy named Perkheiser played at Purdue. And he's a he he uh, got killed in Europe a few years ago. But he played at Bluffton High School, and he was so so. You know, we just we just in general we just didn't like Purdue. In fact, when Gene Cady was trying to recruit uh, Glenn Robinson to go to Purdue, and Indiana wanted Glenn Robinson, mm-hmm. I was playing in a charitable golf tournament in Indianapolis one time, and Gene Cady. It was the year that Gene Cady was trying to get Glenn Robinson. And my foursome was right behind Gene Cady. And, and you know how those foursomes back up. So we backed up and, you know, uh, Gene Cady's waiting to hit the golf ball. And I'm standing back there twiddling my thumbs. I said, well, I'm going to go up to Gene Cady and kind of pull his leg a little bit. So I walked up behind Gene Cady. And I don't know if he knew me or not. I said, hey, Gene, I'm Tom Van Arsdale, played in Indiana. I just want you to know. You're not going to get Glenn Robinson. You're going to get him down in Indiana. Well, I'll tell you one thing. He did not like that. He did not like that one bit. So I thought, oh, Tom, why don't you just go back and play with your golf club a little bit? And I thought, I really thought Gene Cady was a great coach. Yeah, well, he was. Uh, we hate him, but he was a yeah. great coach. So, <laughs> j- just in case anybody forgets, though, he he didn't win any national championships or make any final fours. No, that's right. right so, right. you beat yeah. Purdue he twice. Had a, he had a bad comb over. Yes, yeah. he did, real bad. <laughs> he had a bad comb over. That was awful. Okay. So, <laughs> so you beat Purdue twice. The season ends with the team going. Uh, you're you're th- you're twelve and eleven going into the last game. You're eight and five in the Big Ten. And the last game of the year is against Ohio State. If Ohio State wins that game, Ohio State goes to the NCAA tournament. Like you said, only one team for a conference goes. And there was also a little bit of an archaic rule that I think it's like if if there's a tie, it goes to the team that wasn't in most recently. I think you're right. Yeah, so, right. yeah. so Ohio State and Illinois are in this battle for one and two. And you, in your first year playing, Indiana's finishing third here in the Big Ten. But you play Ohio State in the final game of the year, who is in first place in the Big Ten. And if they win out, they're going to the – if they win this game, they're going to the NCAA tournament. And it turns out to be a thrilling game of basketball that also includes some fights. Do you remember anything about this game? Was Gary Brads involved? I believe so. I don't remember a fight, but I, 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 I kind of re- was it was the game in Bloomington. Yes. Yeah, I, I think Gary Brad. I think it was it was a close game, wasn't it? Yeah, very close game. In fact, it went to overtime. Yeah, I don't remember much about it, but I think I do remember Gary Brads very well. well uh, but I don't remember what happened. You win the game. You force a tie in the Big Ten, which costs Ohio State the chance to go to the NCAA tournament and thus sends Illinois to the tournament, which in a season where you're not allowed to go to the NCAA tournament anyway, it's your first year playing, you winning your last game of the year and really screwing over a rival is always fun. So you get that under your belt. But then, like you said, you lead now into your junior year. Uh, with, where Jimmy Rail and Bollier both graduate. And here's just, right. I want to put something in perspective. You talked about maybe not knowing why you struggled your, your junior year. Jimmy Rail and Bollier were second and third in scoring in the Big Ten, in the conference. Mm-hmm. You lost mm-hmm. both of them. That's a big yeah. hole to fill, even with you and Dick coming into your own. Those are big, big holes to fill in a roster. How do you guys 
do you step into a leadership role as juniors already? Is that, is that now already coming on to you or were there? Yeah. How did you approach that? Well, uh, I, I just remember we played Notre Dame very early in that season and we played them in Fort Wayne and Dick and I, Dick and I scored, Dick had, I think Dick had 41 and I think I had 32. Well, you're a little off. No, Dick had 42, you had 34. But th- this is, again, one of these crazy things about your story. This game, your junior year, is the game where both of you set your career scoring highs. That's your best game scoring it as an Indiana Hoosier, and it's Dick's. It happens in the same exact game against Notre Dame, and you both hit exactly 15 field goals. Both of you, 15 field no goals. No kid. Yes. Uh, I didn't know that. But, huh. but your brother Dick was really working the fouls to get to the free throw line, so he outscored you in that game. <laughs> that son of a gun. <laughs> so what? You, so well, do, does that game really feel like it's a bit of a coming out party a little bit? You know, I I I, I go back in my mind to this stuff about not being not feeling good enough, not being good. This really bothered me for a long time. Um, and I think, hearing you talk, we did lose Bollier and Rail, and they were the heart of the team. Uh, and then next year, it was Dick and me. We right. were the heart of the team. And I, I'm not sure I was ready for that. Hmm. I'm not sure that I was ready. I, in fact, I know I wasn't. You know, and, and uh, the next, so I think that had something to do with it. Dick and I weren't, you know, I can't speak for Dick because I think Dick had a little bit more of our mother in him than I did. And I had a little bit more of my dad. And I think I had more of a, we're not good enough attitude. And Dick, Dick didn't quite have that same attitude. We talked about this quite a bit. Uh, so I think we weren't ready for a leadership role. I mean, I think you got to be ready for that. I think our senior year, we were ready. And one thing that helped our senior year was McLaughlin came around right. and John started playing more and John was a very good shooter and and the three of us averaged we all averaged about 18 or 19 points so we were more balanced and that that junior year it was like nobody really knew who they were I think that's a good way to put it you know it I mean it sounds unbelievable to say that after being great players in high school and going to college but I had to fight this psychology it wasn't and as I said what well, I don't think we're going to talk about the pros today, but I didn't feel like I was good until I got into the pros. And then I finally said, I'm playing with the best players in the world, and I am good. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the pros for sure. Can we get into this just a little bit? Because, you know, anybody looks at the stats with the freakish similarity between you uh, and and Dick through your career. But you would mentioned the year prior, he was... Uh, at the guard position, you were at the forward. How similar were you guys, same height, of course, but how similar were your actual playing styles? Did you have the same shooting stroke? Were you both as good on the defensive end or with passing? How, how would you compare and contrast? I would say that, that we were both we were both aggressive defensively. We, we both played good defense. Uh, we both rebounded. Uh, we were both about. We weren't great ball handlers, uh, but we were both. We were adequate for being. If you played a three or a two, we couldn't be a. We could never have been a one. But uh, but as far as shooting, Dick liked to drive to the basket a little bit more than I did. 
Uh, I did a, I did a lot, but he did more driving to the basket than I did. He had a, a little different jump shot and a little different free throw stance. But other than that, we were pretty much the same. Wow. Well, you win that Notre Dame game 108 to 102, scoring 108 points, by the way. Uh, you beat Purdue again mm-hmm. that year one time. Dick finishes the year uh, all Big Ten first team. You finish it all Big Ten second team. And I do think. Well, that, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. You said it. Yeah, I um, said it. I know. But what I do think is remarkable is. Again, you look at the stats, and you had a great year statistically. I mean, you scored 21 points a game. You averaged 12 rebounds a game. But again, so much of this game, and I don't care if it was 1965 or 2020, so much of this game is mental. And it's it's confidence, and Mm -hmm. it's leadership. And when that stuff isn't right, it's hard to put your finger on exactly why when you look at like game tape or statistics, but when it's not right, and clearly as you look back on it and what you talked about not being ready for that role, yeah. something wasn't right, and it definitely got righted by the time you go to your senior year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I you know, hey, this is, a, this is a good counseling session for me, <laughs> quite, quite honestly, because I'm here, you know, it, it really does hit me because it is attitude and is believing in yourself and having confidence. And with something about that, you know, you're hitting right, you're hitting the nail right on the head. We're, we're going to waive the copay for this. This <laughs> yeah. is just too good. <laughs> so okay. I, I'm wondering if you remember this, this is a, a little anecdote courtesy of Bill Murphy. Also, Bill told me that uh, going into your senior year, that branch uh, which, by the way, the other thing we should talk about here is this is Branch's last year as coach of Indiana. And d- I'll just touch right. on it now. Did you know that going in? Did Branch know it going no, in? No. Uh, we The players didn't know it. I don't know if Branch knew it or not because I think he got feeling badly during the season. And uh, we finally, you know, he finally didn't finish out the year. But uh, right. I don't, yeah, we didn't know the players didn't know that. Okay. And I, I don't know, I don't know the branch did either. So this anecdote comes from, like I said, Bill Murphy, who said that branch going into that year wanted to do something a little differently defensively. And he actually talked to his good buddy who you mentioned before, Johnny Wooden, and came up with a different wrinkle to add to the defensive scheme of the team. Do you remember this at all? Well, I remember the scheme very well. I didn't know he talked wouldn't about it. Yeah, tell it, please huh. tell us what the scheme was that he put in. Well, he put he he instituted a full court press, and he uh, we would press so, as long as we could. We tried to press the whole game, and uh, he put it was a full court press. He put Dick and me down uh, where they were taking the ball out. Of bounds and Dick and I, our job was to to corner the guy that received the inbound pass, which is typical on a press. So Dick and I, we were the front end of the press, and so when the guy took the ball out of bounds and threw it in to probably the best ball handler, whoever they had, Dick and I would 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 try to corner him or get him tied up. Of course, the other three guys would be ready to 
pounce on a bad pass or something to steal the ball. So we did this full court press. And Dick and I, and I just finished writing this in my new book about how Branch had confidence in Dick and I because we did have, we've had good speed. We had good foot speed. We were quick. We played good defense. So he put us down there to be the two quick guys to try to corner the ball. And that, and so we did that a lot. And we got started. Our, we started the season nine and zero, right? We yeah. won our first nine games, and then we got to win over to Illinois and got beat. But uh, anyway, so he had us at the front of the press, which I thought was a little unusual for you know. You usually put two quick guards down, right? He put us down there. But so, I wonder though, was some of it that it's one thing to be trapped by two big guys. It's mm-hmm. another thing to be trapped by two big guys who look exactly alike. <laughs> I mean, that has got to mess with somebody's mind. Well, the guy's turned into his right, well, it's the same guy. That. He turns to his left, it's the same guy. <laughs> this guy is everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, we would find sometimes when Dick and I eventually both played forward, we'd be running down the floor and two guys would be guarding one of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's, by the way, uh, I love that. Um, I going back real quick. Your little league coach made you wear different hats, different color hats. Yeah. Did Branch ever have trouble telling you apart? Oh heck yeah, he made us. <laughs> he no Branch had us wear different color socks. <laughs> one of us, one of us wore. He always had one of us wear white socks and one of us wear blue socks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I swear to God, you know this is amazing. <laughs> So that anyway. season, let's. I want to just break down a little bit of the nine and zero start because you play a top ten team in Kansas State at Kansas State and you win that game, and then North Carolina, who, where you took out Dean yeah. Smith and Billy Cunningham. We always like when Indiana beats Dean Smith, but historically that's been a coaching <laughs> thing. What was it like to go against him as a player? Do you remember that? Uh, you mean uh, Dean Smith? Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I, I thought more about Cunningham than I did Dean Smith. Sure. Because Cunningham was this highly touted potential first-team All-American from North Carolina, from Brooklyn, New York, from the East. And we didn't know him from Adam. But Dean Smith, you know, we didn't think much about Dean Smith. We yeah. didn't think much about the cold, you know. That, but we thought about Cunningham. In fact, when, when we beat them at the end of the game, Cunningham took the basketball and threw it all the way up to the ceiling. He was so mad. Yeah, I like and, that. And o- over the years, Billy and Dick and I have become very good friends. I mean, we went to Europe together and played six weeks over there together. And then actually when I was playing in Philadelphia, Billy came back from Car- the Carolina Cougars and played, played. We were on the same team. So Billy was a great player but we were so happy to beat them just because of him we beat him right and he was mad he was really mad that then leads into the tournament that you mentioned before in memphis where you beat a very good st louis team and we and, all know people yeah. from st louis are the worst <laughs> they're all they are they are awful <laughs> <laughs> all right all right i really thought no, i was I, like, I thought i was going to get I, away I, clean on this peru bashing episode <laughs> but uh, so then you play the host team, Memphis, another top 10 team in the country, and you beat them. And like you said, you are 9-0 and and ranked number two in the country at the time. You get all the way up to rank number two. How much fun is that, by the way? Just your... That is really fun. Now, I'll tell you one thing about 
<laughs> this is going to sound stupid. <laughs> but your what you eat before a game is very important. Sure. And and we had we didn't have nutritionists like they do today. But every guy on our team that year felt weak like in the first 10 minutes of the game cuz we were eating, we'd have pre-game meals together. It was all provided by the by the, you know, the coach and the, 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 if we were on the road, we'd all eat together and the coach would order the menu, order the food. We would always eat the wrong things. We'd have a steak, a baked potato, maybe a chocolate bar. I mean, it was the worst thing. We, and we were all weak the first 10 minutes of the game. So we, we attribute some of our losses that some of those five losses to the wrong diet. <laughs> but it, it really felt that way. Even I talked to McLaughlin, my brother. Steve Redbow, we all talk about how we didn't feel good like the first 10 minutes because of what we ate. <laughs> when, when did you realize so, that? Too late. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, started, then I started eating the right stuff later. In, in, in the pros, I started eating fish and stuff like that. I could run all day and never get tired. So I, I preach to kids now. If I talk to them, I said, make sure you watch your diet. If you're gonna, if you want to be a good athlete, you got to watch what you eat and eat the right things. But Illinois went over there. They, they were, they had a good team too. You know, Ted, do you remember a guy named Tal Brody? No, no, I can't say I do. Tal Brody was a starting guard. He was a Jewish kid from, where was he from? He might have been New York. I mean, but he was playing, and he was, he was good. Well, he, they beat us, Bogey Redmond. Uh, Tal Brody, Skip Thoreen played, I think, some in the pros. But anyway, Tal was drafted by the St. Louis Hawks, and instead, I he, I don't know if he got cut or what, he went to Israel. He became the national coach of the Israeli team. He was a player. They were they won the Maccabean Games like a few years ago, and then they won the World Games. They had some great Israeli teams yeah. over there. And Hal has be, Hal had, Tal Brody has become a national legend and hero in israel oh, that's he great. lives in tel aviv we stay in touch we stay in touch but anyway the reason i just bring it up because it's kind of interesting yeah. tal was tal tells me yeah he's a great great guy but anyway they beat us that's history it yeah. is now i'm gonna have to bring up another one that's going to be painful for you here but we got to do what's, it what's iowa no michigan number one michigan oh comes oh gosh, you play yeah. number one michigan on february 15th 1965 i mean yep. this is a chance for you to play the number one team in the country you guys are very good this is your senior year and this is just a heartbreaking game what do you right. what do you remember again a michigan team number one with Cassie russell and many others but what do you remember from this game I just remember how we fell apart at the end of the game. And uh, I can't remember specifics. I think I did foul out. You did. In fact, you uh, and Dick both ended up fouling out. Fouling out. Yeah. I just remember it seemed like nothing went right. I don't know if Cassie had a good – I think maybe Cassie hit a couple of baskets and free throws. But uh, I don't remember a lot about it. I just remember how disappointing it was. I mean, it was – of all the games we played at Indiana, that was the key bummer right there. And, and you know, they had, I, I'm thinking about, they they had some really good players. Sure. Uh, they really had a good team. And Cassie, Cassie was good, but the, 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 the guys that got overlooked were the, were the uh, Oliver Darden 
and Trigoning, and there was a white kid also that was good, and I can't remember his name. And then, of course, Bill Bunton at center. I don't know. I don't know how much he hurt us, but uh, that was a that was just that was a devastating loss, and that's the only that's what the game people talk about all the time when they see me, and we're talking about old Indiana days, and they say, "Oh, that Michigan game it devastated us." Yeah, well, that team was excellent. They ended up making the championship game that year. Yeah, and you and Goodrich and Goodrich threw in what forty one or forty six against them. Oh, is that right? I don't know. Game. I don't know that. Oh, Gail Goodrich and. Dick and I are real good friends with Gail. He played for the Suns for a while, but this guy was, they called him Stumpy. He was short, <laughs> he was slow, and he could shoot. <laughs> he threw in 41 or 46, and they really kicked Michigan, my gosh. Anyway, I remember that. I remember that game more than I remember our Michigan game. <laughs> yeah, it's, of course, because your brain doesn't allow you to remember the losses. That's well, the great that's thing right, about it. That's right. <laughs> but, but, but as... <laughs> As a public service announcement for all Hoosier fans who end up stopping in the art gallery, instead of bringing up that game, what is what is the game or the moment in your career that that brings you the most joy? Looking back to it, if we we haven't really covered it already. Well, to me, it was the. I, I'm not talking about the pros right now. I'm talking about yeah. the high school game against Christmas Addicts in '19 when we dig and I out scored the whole team and they were supposed to beat us they didn't dick and i outscored the whole team that's really what propelled us to be to get a lot more notoriety and uh, we wouldn't have beaten them we wouldn't have, yeah so that, about that in, game always sticks out in my mind and and how about it at iu is there one that sticks out of like yep that's why we went to bloomington for a game like that you know the only, I, to me the thing that sticks out is the memphis classic right how well how well we played um and then the the Notre Dame game that junior year kind of sticks out. Oh, sure, where you scored your career like, high. It was like, yeah, it was like, like I I played. Ron Reed played forward on that team for Notre Dame, and Ron Reed and I were teammates with the Detroit Pistons our first year. And then Ron didn't quite wasn't quite good enough to play pro basketball, so he pitched for the Atlanta Braves. He got eighteen years in as a major league baseball pitcher. Wow, and Ron and I are best of friends now. Like the reason I bring that up is because he was—he didn't have good flip speed, and so he guarded Dick and me different times in the Notre Dame game. And I tell Ron today, it was like beating you guys was like putting a hot knife through cold uh, through a, a hot a cold knife through hot butter. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. We just drove. We drove around you any any time we wanted to. <laughs> anyway, so I remember that game. But you know, I don't. I don't have a lot of highlight thoughts about the college career. Well, except the Michigan game and the Memphis Classic and Notre Dame. Well, those are are certainly good ones. And I will say this. And obviously, you don't know this at the time, and you can only look back at, on this with history, with the with the uh, advantage of history. And maybe this will be a memory now for you to remember. But obviously, this was your last year and Dick's last year at Indiana, and it also proved to be Branch McCracken's last year. And the way you sent Branch out was you won your final three games at Indiana, you won three in a row to end the season, to finish your career nineteen, to finish that season nineteen and five overall, finished fourth in the Big Ten in a stacked Big Ten, and one of those last three games was a win against Purdue. So you go out winning against yeah. Purdue, you win three in a row. It's Branch's last game at Indiana. 
you give him a victory. And just to wrap up that season, I saw an interesting stat that just blows me away. In that season, where you only play 24 games, your Indiana teams, your and Dick Indiana teams, scored 90 or more points 13 times out of the 24 games. I mean, what a fun style of basketball you were playing. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, now, there's another. St- there's there's some more information I didn't know. There you go. There you go. That's what we're here for. You're helping me. You're helping me. You're helping me today. Now, speaking of fun, we all have so many fond memories of just being students in Bloomington, and we did hear that you know you like to play the dating game a little bit. It, it was in your time. Uh, in Bloomington that that Dick met his future wife, Barbara. But w- with you between, you know, the ladies, your social life, classes, you were uh, academic, all Big Ten. How much fun was it just to be a, a student athlete in Bloomington? Well, <laughs> it was, it, I'll tell you. I don't know of anybody that went down to Indiana that didn't love it. Yes. I mean, Dick and I loved, we loved being at Indiana University. We were involved in the, in the social scene with fraternities and sororities. And, and you know, and we liked, we liked people. We liked, we're, we're very sociable. We liked all the, our SAE brothers have meant a lot to us. The sorority girls were great down there. Uh, we had a we had a wonderful experience at Indiana, and I often think of these guys now who do are one and done. Yeah, it'd be hard to turn down that kind of money, but anyone who doesn't go through the college experience is missing something. And we really we've got dear friends from those days that will you know as we get older. You guys will find out as you get older, those friends mean so much more to you, and they're so valuable. Uh, so we're we just. We loved it. We do. You know, I got stuck with a couple of blind dates that weren't so good. But other than that, I, 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 I now, now, who's from Fort Wayne? Anybody? My wife. Your, who, your wife. Who I met well, in Bloomington. You met in Bloomington. Okay. Well, there was a gal from uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, who became cheerleader Miss USA. Oh. And and she uh, she and I dated some. And she moved to New York, and she started a show called Ask Miss Jean. And then she started writing for Elle magazine. And then she did some articles for Cosmopolitan. And she called me, and she wanted to come out and interview me here in Phoenix because she was interviewing her ex-boyfriends. Right. And one of her, boy, one of her boyfriends was an all-American swimmer. And then there was me. So she, and the all American swimmer lived out here. And so she came out here and inter- interviewed both of us. And she wrote an article, which I still have from Cosmo magazine. That was not very flattering. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Did she but talk anyway, about, she did was, she talk about dating you? Oh, heavens. Yes. And what did she say? What, what did she book. say? What did she say that was insulting about you? Well, I can't remember right. Okay, now. good. No, yeah. she she liked she liked no she liked me. She said good things, but oh, I I was one thing. I'm I you know never mind. I'm not I'm not going to talk about that. But she okay. she to this day she to this day she she's had a talk show in New York City. She recently wrote a book 
about Donald Trump. And she's the one who accused Donald Trump of molesting her in a dressing room at Bergdorf Goodman's in New York recently. My mother-in-law grew up with her. My mother-in-law grew up with her. I know who you're speaking of now. I'll bet. Jeannie Carroll. Yes. They grew up in Fort Wayne together. Jeannie Carroll. That's her. Yeah. Anyway, she wrote, you got to get this book and read it. I'm going to, for sure. Yeah, you got to get it. I've just got it because it's a small world. There's no chance at any time while you were dating her, you hung out with Pam or Mike Bodeker, did you? Boy, the name Bodeker sounds kind of familiar. It does sound familiar. Bodeker. I'll bet my buddy Tom Bollier knows him. If we find out that you dated Ward's mother-in-law, this is going to be real interesting. Well, it's going to be real interesting because she was already married to my father-in-law. Oh, that would that be time, weird. So. Well, I, didn't dare, I didn't date any married women then, right? so I'm safe. All right, let's get this thing back on the rails a little bit. Okay. So okay. Right. <laughs> your basketball career and your college career at Indiana ends with just, I mean, without making and winning a national championship, yeah. but... Without doing that, you had as successful of a career as you can have, all-American, all-academic, all-Big Ten. I mean, just an incredible career. When do you and Dick start thinking about the NBA and knowing that that is going to be a reality for you? We got to tell. We were at the fraternity house in the springtime, and it was you know, it's a time of year when you try not to study too much because you know you're about done. And we got a telephone call. Dick first got a telephone call from uh, the New York Knickerbockers saying that they had selected him as a, a draft pick. And Bill Bradley was there. Uh, well, you, you had territorial picks then. So Bill Bradley was picked. But he went to Oxford for two years and came back. So Dick was Dick was called by the New York Knickerbockers and told them he would be, be joining the Knickerbockers. So, and I, it was shortly thereafter that I got a call from the Detroit Pistons telling me that I had been drafted by the Detroit Pistons in the next, the next round following Dick. So we knew in the springtime, you know, it was interesting, though, because we had had no contact from anybody from either of those teams. So we just got called out of the blue saying, you know, <laughs> the Pistons drafted me and Dick to the Pistons drafted him and we want you to come to New York here and we want you to come to Detroit. So, you know, you didn't have the fanfare that these guys have today. Now, I, I also want to just set some context here because while okay. technically you guys were drafted in the second round, it's a very different second round when you got drafted. There were only nine NBA teams. So you and Dick were That's drafted right. 10th and 11th, respectively. So you, you are top right. 10 picks for all intents and purposes. You, you were lottery here. picks. Yes, you are lottery picks. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, before we get into the NBA career a little bit, I also heard that, the, is it true that the Dallas Cowboys considered drafting you guys to play tight end? Yeah. Uh, how, how does that happen? Well, you know, they, they were famous for doing that. And that's kind of, they, they had a, a player personnel director, Gil Brandt. Okay. Uh, and Gil was with them for years. And I think Gil probably has retired. We got a call from Gil Brandt. And he said, you know, we're looking at you two guys as potential NFL players. And he said, I'd like to come to Bloomington and talk to you and time you in the 40-yard dash. So he came to Bloomington, and we met him, we talked to him. We went down on the football field, and he timed us in the 40-yard dash. 
and you know we ran it in sneakers on on grass <laughs> and i think we <laughs> so yeah so i think we were i think we were fast enough to satisfy what he was looking for but they never they never did draft us and they never did ask us to come as free agents so we yeah they did come to see us uh, you know, they took Pete Gent. Remember Pete Gent at Michigan State? No. He was a tight end. He was a tight end for – he was a few years older than Dick and me. He he, he played quite a few years for the uh, for the Dallas Dallas Cowboys. And there's a guy named Green. They, they've done a lot of drafting of basketball players since then. Wait, but I've got to know. We when, were also – got to know, though, real quick, Tom. Me. i got to know who was faster, you or yeah. Dick. You or Dick, who was faster. We were the same. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> here's, an, here's an interesting story. Our junior, we got a call from two guys from the from the rowing teams in Philadelphia who were Olympic potential rowers to, that worked out on the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia. They called Dick and me to see if we would agree to come back to Philadelphia and work with them and try to make the Olympic team in rowing because they could put us on both. They could put us in the same boat and our row, because we're so similar, our rowing techniques would be very uh, helpful to the rowing team. They wanted, they wanted us to skip, come back here that summer and then skip some stuff. We said, we can't leave Indiana and go back. But we were recruited to be on a rowing team to try to make the Olympics. Unbelievable. Now there uh, was a barnstorming tour that you took part in yes. in Indiana. I'm assuming that was after your senior year before the NBA season picked up. Yeah. And uh that there was a a gentleman by the name of Jerry Sloan around. It was he on your team or did you play against him in Evansville and then there was no. trash talking? How'd that go? Well Jerry was Jerry played at Evansville and he was from Illinois. So we had a barnstorming team, the seven seniors that graduated from Indiana. From Indiana, we formed formed a barnstorming team. We played about now. I'm not sure how many. We played about 20 games, and the reason we did it is we made money. And a lot of team Jerry Lucas and Havlicek they did it after they. A lot of guys did it, and it was a great way to pick up spending money. So RCDs RCDs was our manager. Hmm. And we had an we had an attorney from Bloomington, in, from Martinsville, Indiana, Speedy St. Clair, who was our kind of our financial guy. And we traveled around, played different towns around Indiana. And well, one of the games we played in was down in, I think it was Evansville or Huntingburg, and we played against Jerry Sloan was on the opposing team. And we didn't know anything about Jerry, but we played them and we beat them. It was the last barnstorming game of our summer festivities and we beat Jerry Sloan's team. Now I don't remember any any trash talk. Jerry was, you know, Jerry Jerry and Dick and I had a lot of respect for each other and the pros and to this day we, we think Jerry's just great. He's got dementia, I think you probably know. Yeah. He's not doing well. But he's a great guy. He was a great pro. I'm sure we didn't like each other back then. We didn't know each other. We didn't know each other anything about each other. Jerry was this great player from Evansville, and we're from Indiana. And he can't be a nice guy because he's playing at Evansville, and that's lower class. And right. all. you know, we probably didn't like each other, but but we did beat him. And I think it was a tough game. I think it was a real tough game. It was one of the closest games we played. We never got beat in any of the twenty games. That barnstorming tour. Well, now uh, 
so now the barnstorming tour is behind you. You know, your brother yeah. has been drafted by the Knicks. You're, you've been drafted by Detroit. You talked a little bit about how making the transition from high school to Bloomington was difficult for you and you were scared. What was the transition like for you going from the safety of Bloomington, Indiana now to Detroit? And for the first time in your life, you are separated from your brother. What is that like for you? I mean, this is literally since you only, the only other time in your life you were separated was those 15 minutes before he was born. And now you're, you're moving very far away. And he has Barbara, his, his wife, uh, as kind of his partner. And you're on your own in Detroit. What was that like for you, Tom? I can tell you guys have done a lot of research. Bill you, Murphy. Know, you, did, you did a good job getting ready for this. I, I got to tell you guys. <laughs> I applaud you. Well, I went, you know, this is the first time Dick and I had been separated, and I became very depressed. And I went to Detroit. You know, I don't think anybody really knows what it's like to go and try out for a pro team, but it, it's 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 not easy. And I didn't know what I was getting into. And I go up to training camp, and Dave DeBoucher is my coach. Dave is a great Dave's dad now too. I love Dave DeBusher, but he he treated me so well. We went up there and so in getting ready to go to training camp, some of the guys in Detroit invited me to play in some of their pickup games in the summer because they try to kind of get some sort of shape before they had to go to training camp. So we had a we had a game over some gymnasium and it was all the present Detroit Pistons whoever else was in town, and Ron Reed and I went over. Ron was the third-round pick or second of the Detroit Pistons. And anyway, we went over and, and just got into a pickup game. And in this pickup game, it was just – it was five on five, but it was just ha ha hazard play, haphazard play. Eddie Miles was guarding me. And Eddie Miles was a player from Seattle who I think he was the leader leading score for the Pistons the year before. And he was guarding me, and I thought, oh, my God, this guy is really good. And he, and I found out he was good. I mean, he wasn't a good ball handler, but he's, he was a good shooter, and he was a great defensive player. And he had a right arm that was built like a number 10 rebound. Hey, Dick, Dick just stick his, stuck his head. Dick, I'm not done yet. Go back to work. <laughs> 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 That's Dick. Anyway, so. What he did, it told me how good the guys were in the pros. And so I always thought, you know, going from grade school to high school was a step up. Going from high school to, the, to college was a step up. But this was completely different. This was, this was, this was a, a man's game. These guys were strong. They were quick. They were good. They were aggressive. And I thought, oh, Jiminy Christmas. So I really got a wake-up call as to – what I had to do to make the team. Well, during that process, then we go to training camp. I'm rooming with I'm rooming with Rod Thorne, mm. who 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 was the starting guard for the Pistons the year before. And Rod's rather cerebral, uh, uh, interesting guy. And we room together, and so we will go through training camp. And I'm in a training training camp about three or four days, and Rod and I are going to bed the, that night. And I said, Rod. You know, I'm, I'm, if I'm not here when you wake up in the morning, that means I quit. So Rod got up the next morning. I'm gone. I get up in the middle of the night, pack my bags, drive to Blooming, drive to Greenwood to my parents' house, pulled in the driveway, and my mom said, what are you doing home? And I said, Mom, I'm very unhappy. I'm going to go to law school. 
because I'd been accepted to Indiana's law school. So I stayed home for two or three days. Mom was worried about me because I'm depressed. And I get up, drive my car to Bloomington. My cousin was a pre-med student down in Bloomington. I moved into his apartment. I registered for classes on Thursday. Studied The classes started on Friday. I did some little reading in the law books. Got up Friday morning. I was still unhappy. I didn't go into a class. I drove back to Greenwood, called Dave DeBusher and said, Dave, I want to come back. He said, okay, you can come back, but don't ever do that again. <laughs> and I went back. In, in the meantime, my brother keeps calling me from New York and said, Tom, what are you doing? Get back up there to Detroit. I said, D-. it was because I'd been separated from Dick for the first time in my life. And I was very depressed. I went back to Detroit, stuck it out. And as they say, the rest is history. (laughs) I I tell you, I made the right move because I would have been a terrible attorney. And I love (laughs) basketball so so much. Mm. I made the right move. And thank God I did. Thank God Dick encouraged me to go back. So that's do, do you have time to talk a little bit about your pro career? Because we'd, we'd love to get into it a little bit if you have time. Let me look at my book here. Let me see what my schedule says. Let's see. Hey, my afternoon schedule. Let's see here. It's, no, I don't have anything. No, I don't have. No, I don't know. I mean, wait, you oh, really, I'm going you to a movie just... at 4. I, I, wait a minute. I'm going to a movie at 430 with my wife. You know what? I got all the time you want. Let's go. <laughs> well, we're not going to take too much up. We're hey, not going to hey, go. Just a minute. Yeah. I, go ahead. Just now. Went to, no, I'm go ahead. Look, you... My brother's out here. I'm going to walk out. Hey, Dick. Dick. My Dick. My brother had a stroke 13 years ago. Yeah. Dick, say hi to these guys and tell them you don't know what a podcast is. Say hi to them. Hey, Dick Van Arsdale. How you doing? Dick, it is an honor and a pleasure to meet you. My name's Eric Pankowski. And I'm Ward Roberts. It is a good true pleasure. Well, well, was Tom any good? <laughs> Tom was okay? He's been great. We've been going through your history of Indiana. But we got to ask you, Dick, who is better, you or Tom? I was much better. <laughs> Tom was Tom was horseshit. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, Tom, very good together, you know. Yes. He's my, I don't speak very well, but I'm okay. You're, yeah, you you are good. perfect. And uh just thank you for being a Hoosier. We are Hoosiers and uh oh, good. we we uh we just so admire what you did both in high school basketball, obviously at Indiana, and also your professional career. Just incredible stories and it's an honor to talk to you. Well, thank you very much. And uh I know you're big Tom with Tom. I, he could talk a lot, you yes, know. Yes, he's good at talking. <laughs> you guys sound very good. Tom, what is it that it's a podcast. Paycast. I don't know what it is, but you guys are good. Oh, thanks, Dick. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you much. I'll see you soon. Take care. Here's Tom. Okay. Yeah, he enjoyed that. He had a stroke 13 years ago, and he's okay physically. His cognitive skills aren't all that good. No, he sounded good, though. He, he, he still know how to talk trash about his brother. I know. Yeah. He had enough cognitive activity to, <laughs> I heard it. to, to call you horseshit. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, who didn't know that? <laughs> right. Well, we get, we got to anyway. ask about your first game ever in the pros. Wait, but real quick, hold that thought for one second, because now that we did get to talk to Dick and 
and by the way, even the way you guys say the word shit is similar <laughs> because we've heard it now from both. <laughs> but but I just want to point out, and I should have said it right after the Indiana career, and I'm sure this has been pointed out to you, but after 72 games at Indiana where you both played 72 games over three seasons, you scored a total of 1,252 points. Your brother scored 1,240 points over 72 games, separated by 12 points, and even more remarkable, you both were great rebounders. You had 723 rebounds over your career. He had 719, separated by four rebounds over three years of playing. Just uncanny similarities. Yeah. I know it is. It's it's uncanny. It is. So yep. you back to the NBA. Well, just to cap that real quick, do you lord over him that you beat him in both of those categories, <laughs> and then does he come back with the first team Big Ten versus second team All Big Ten? No, because he scored more points in the pros than I did, uh, so yeah. I can't. Not many, but he did. So, so I got to be careful. I can't give him too much standing. Okay. So, to, plus to, he played. Plus he played one championship series, so he can lord over me. That's okay. true. That's okay. True. But yeah. to to keep the freakiness going, the first pro game of your career, who's who's on the other team? Is it Dick? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and did we play in the, Did we play in the garden? Yes. In New York. Yeah, yeah. And how did it feel to guard each other? Oh, we didn't like that at all. No. But but uh, my, when I had my coach, Bob Cousy, when I was playing in Cincinnati, made me guard Dick because he thought I would know Dick's moves so well that I could stop him. But I told Cousy, I said, Cous, it doesn't work that way. But he <laughs> made me do it anyway. But most coaches respected our feelings and we did have to guard each other quite often, but you know, you just got to act like it's the enemy. It's a game. And so you play as hard as you can. Just pretend like you're back home on that, that yeah. grass court, right? That's right. By That's the way, right. Tom, I do feel like there is a little bit of a Forrest Gump element to your entire life and especially your basketball life. You go from, you know, idolizing Branch McCracken in Indiana to playing and being an all American for Branch McCracken at Indiana. You also idolized a certain player when you were younger, one Oscar Robertson. And not that long into your NBA career, you are traded to the Cincinnati Royals where you get to play with Oscar Robertson. Yeah. What was he like as a teammate? Hey, he's the greatest. That was one of the best best things that ever happened to me. You know, Oscar is one of those guys that – He's so good, he doesn't, he doesn't have to talk about himself, and he doesn't. And he was a great teammate. He was a, he, he was very, you know, he's kind of shy, and he's not, not real verbal, you know. He just doesn't say a lot of things, and people think he's kind of aloof, but he's not. He's a great guy. He gave one of his kidneys to one of his daughters, you know, he's just a great guy solid guy and he was a very unselfish player uh we'd go to like if we were if we were playing in los angeles and we might land at the airport we got a day we get in the afternoon there's a day off we go down guys used to 
hang out together and we'd go down to the bar and have a beer. And Oscar made more money than anybody else. So Oscar's, hey guys, I'm buying the beer today. I mean, he was just, he was just a great guy. And plus, he knew how to help everybody else. I mean, when he bounced, when he gave you a pass, he would bounce it so it came up and hit you exactly where you needed to have it to go up for a jump shot. Mm. He he would get everybody else off first because he knew he could score. And I just can't say enough good things about Oscar. I mean, he was, in fact, I roomed with him some. And, uh, you know, you know, there's a, it's sometimes said that when you meet your idol, you're disappointed because they're not what you thought they were. And he's just the opposite. He's more of an idol than when I didn't know him. Wow, you were two for two so with I Branch think, and Oscar. Pretty good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, and then what was it like to have Bob Cousy as your coach? <laughs> well, Bob was a Bob was a perfectionist, and he was very emotional, uh, a, a, a extremely competitive. And the, one, the I, I like Bob a lot. In fact, he's ninety. I think he's ninety-one now. I talk to him every once in a while. But he uh, see he took over the Cincinnati Royals, and he thought he could turn the team around with his coaching. But Bob. Bob came from a system with the Boston Celtics that was so unique and so unbelievable that he thought he could turn our team around just by his coaching, and it didn't happen the way he thought he wanted it to or thought it could be. So I think he was really unhappy uh, coaching the Cincinnati Royals. He and Oscar didn't really hit it off. Uh, So anyway. But I have a lot of respect for Koozie, but he was—he was not an easy person to play for. Okay, okay. It probably probably didn't help that there was no Bill Russell out there either. That that, that <laughs> well, would. Well, you know. Well, did I tell you the story about Bob Knight introducing John Havlicek at an event three no. years ago up in Maine? No, tell us, please. Uh, John, John Havlicek was getting an award for something, and he invited Bob Knight to be the guy that introduced him. So Bob gets up there, and you know how Bob is. He doesn't care what he says. So he gets up there, and he says, I want you folks to I want you to meet John Havlicek, who's here to get this award tonight. But I, I want you also to realize that I've told John many times that when he gets in front of the mirror every morning, he starts to put the lather on his face, and he's going to shave his face. And he should put a picture of Bill, Bill Russell over on the mirror and kiss his ass every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that is Coach Knight. That is Coach That's Knight. Coach Knight. <laughs> Man, that is good. So uh, it turns out the trade to Cincinnati uh, not only works at wonders for your life because you get to play with your idol, Oscar, but it also ends up being the place where you really come into your own as an NBA player. You right. score 19.4 points a game your first full year with Cincinnati. You then move up the next year to 22.8 points a game, which also is the first year that you become an NBA All-Star. What is it like to be recognized as an NBA All-Star? Well, it's a dream. For me, it was a dream because i that, that's the point. I was starting to believe in myself. You know, I go into that all go into that all star game, and I'm sitting in the locker room with guys that are absolutely the greatest. You know, you got Russ, 
Russell Robertson and, you know, all these people and you name all the great ones and they're in there. I think, oh, my gosh, maybe I am pretty good, you know. <laughs> so it meant it meant a lot to me. In, in fact, to this day, you know, the highlight of my career really is uh, making the all-star team three times. Yes. And then Dick and I were, Dick and I, the other honor was that our rookie year, we were the first, we were on first team rookie. Uh, team, the five players, the top rookies, and yes. so those things, those things mean a lot to me because I didn't have any any championships. So that means a lot to me, even to this day, where I can say, you know, I was a three-time NBA All Star. I like that. By the way, do you remember who the other three people were on the All Rookie Team your rookie year? You and your brother. I sure do. I sure do. Bill Cunningham. Rick Barry and Fred Hess. Yes, uh, I mean, what yes. an unbelievable honor to be amongst, uh, to earn the right as you and your brother did to earn the right and be deserving of being amongst these names. I have I to know. ask you. I read a quick story about that. It's just a random thing about Will Chamberlain. That that Will Chamberlain would carry something in his suitcase. That was odd. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Oh yeah. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. I don't know if you're thinking the same thing I am. But, well, let's uh, find out. Well, I just well, I hear some of these things from like guys like Billy Cunningham, who was in the locker room with him, and some some of the other guys. Well, I I heard that he would carry a some sort of a valise suitcase or something into the locker room, and either before the game or after or halftime, he'd open up that suitcase and there'd be a steak in there and he'd eat it yes <laughs> i love it is that what you heard yes it is huh? it's what i read yes isn't that amazing <laughs> so you know what was will do, do you laugh. did you get to know wilt at all oh yeah not well i never played with him you know well <laughs> I met Wilt the first time we were playing an exhibition game against Philadelphia and we were at some airport and this was exhibition. So a lot of times the, the teams would be together and we were, we, we were all standing around a kiosk at an airport to get our luggage. And I'm standing there with uh, Billy Cunningham. I think Jerry Ward was with us who played for the 76 or you probably don't remember his name, but Jerry Ward. So maybe maybe Matt Goo because I don't remember who all was there, but I was there. It was I think it was when I was with Cincinnati and we're playing them, and and Chamberlain is talking to all. He he was a great guy. I mean, we all loved him. Nope, I don't know anybody didn't like Wilt. But anyway, we're standing there, and Wilt says, "Hey, you want to see a picture of my girlfriend?" And everybody said, "Well, sure, we'd like to see a picture of your girlfriend." So he pulls out his wallet. And he opens up and he pulls out this picture and he passes it around and it's this beautiful woman. And she's got a cap, she's got a cap, uh, one of the graduating caps on, you know, what do you call them? Uh, uh, like the mortarboard, from, the mortarboard, the cap and gown. Mortarboard, she's got a mortar, she's got a mortarboard, and she's, but she doesn't have a gown on. There's <laughs> nothing else. <to> <laughs> 
Of course, we all love that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Will comes out a few years later talking about how he'd slept with 20,000 yeah, women. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's probably true. <laughs> uh, I, I thought you were going to say he, he pulled out his picture of his girlfriend, and it was the Dallas Cowboys cheerleading team. <laughs> <laughs> so you, no. you, you make the All-Star team three years in a row. You have a stellar career for 11 seasons. Uh, and you guys yeah. were, were captains of at least one of the All-Star teams right i think 69 70 i don't know uh i don't know that's what my little piece of paper says there you go let's just say it and that that uh, well now wait a minute i i know i don't know i don't know maybe it was a name only i can't remember (laughs) so 11 seasons in the nba uh you had a little bit of a different career obviously than your brother where you bounced around for a couple teams obviously starting in detroit getting traded to cincinnati then they played that silliness with kansas city omaha that right. that was no good that then led for you you to go to philadelphia a stop in atlanta 11 seasons in and now there is a chance in season 12 to do the one thing in the nba besides making the playoffs that you haven't done which is reunite with your brother mm-hmm. in phoenix what was that like to know after this like decade plus of playing basketball apart from each other, seeing each other a few times in the year because you play against each other, but you probably know this is the end of your NBA career getting there and you get to go reunite with him. Just walk us through the emotion of, of that happening in your life. Well, it was wonderful, first of all. I was, I was living in Phoenix in the summer and then playing back east in the winter, and my wife and I had just built a, a home in Phoenix and so we were going to call that our home anyway. But we were uh, we were home for the summer, and the telephone rings, and it's Jerry Colangelo. And it must it must have been in the morning because Kathy and I were just laying there, kind of getting up. So Jerry called me and said, "Tom, I think I can get you here in Phoenix. I think I can trade get you here in Phoenix." I said, "Would would you come? Would you come down here even if I give you if I talk about a pay cut?" And I said. What time do you want me to be there? Uh-huh. I it, it just was absolutely phenomenal, and and that's the year after they had played against Boston Celtics in the championship series. Right, so, so you probably th- thought you were joining a oh, good team. <laughs> oh my God! I thought, oh, I'm now going to be in a playoff. <laughs> I mean, we had we had everybody back. We had Alvin Adams, Curtis Perry, uh, Garfield Hurd. Richie, Ricky Sobers, Paul Westfall, my brother Dick, Keith Erickson, so, and me. I thought, oh my God, my dream is going to come true. We're going to, we're going to play in a playoff because I think Phoenix had a really good team. So we get there, and the plan was I was going to play maybe 15 minutes a game. I would back up Garfield Hurd or, or, or Curtis Perry, and you know it'd be great. And John McLeod was the coach. I love John McLeod fellow Hoosier, great coach. We're all set. We had a good exhibition season, and now we're going to head into the season. We play the first couple of games. Alvin Adams gets hurt. Mm. Garfield Hurd gets hurt. Curtis Perry gets hurt. They all miss most of the season. So I had to start it forward with a guy named Terrell. He was like a rookie. We we only won 32 games that year because we had all those guys gone. But having said that, it was one of the most fun years I ever had because Dick and I roomed together on the road. 
I like all the other. Keith Erickson's great. Westfall, all the guys on the team got along. We just were missing three of the starters from our whole front line was gone. Wow. So, and Alvin Adams was, Alvin Adams was really a great player. Westfall was a great player. And, you know, it was just, but anyway, it didn't happen. So I think I was, I wasn't meant to play in a playoff. <laughs> you were well, meant it, to have that record of it, most points without a playoff. I know, and yeah. I use that. I use that to my advantage. <laughs> well, uh, 12 years in the NBA, two very different NBA careers, different teams, and yet you look at the stats at the end of the day, Tom Van Arsdale scores 14,232 points in 929 games over 12 seasons. Dick Van Arsdale scores 15,079 points over 921 games. So again, they played in eight different, only eight games separate them over 12 years, and less than a point a game separates them over 12 years. You retire from the NBA with your brother, leaving behind an NBA college and high school basketball playing legacy that is simply unparalleled in, in the game of basketball and uh, get to get to kind of enjoy the legacy that you live and then go into some business ventures, both with your brother, right? You you and your brother started yes. doing business yes. together, like mm-hmm. you said, real estate. And, and, and when was the roast beef restaurant with Jerry Lucas? Oh, <laughs> you want me to talk about it? <laughs> it sounds like maybe you should. I love roast beef. Well, that was an interesting story because, you know, Jerry, Jerry is brilliant. <laughs> He's a brilliant guy. We roomed together in Cincinnati. We became very good friends. And he started the Jerry Lucas Beef and Shake restaurant in Middletown, Ohio, and then Columbus. So he asked Dick, Dick and me, if we wanted to join to venture with some of them in Indiana, and we did. And to make a long story short, it didn't work out. Uh, we we didn't get we, we got one open in Indianapolis, and we were opening one in Bloomington. And we had a great site on the Fraternity Row, Sorority Road in Bloomington, an old grocery store. We were going to convert into a beef and shakes and during that process jerry lucas filed bankruptcy uh. and and dick and i were on the lease for uh, we got sued for a hundred thousand oh, dollars and that was back in that was back in and that was back when a hundred thousand dollars was a lot of money <laughs> so jerry jerry of course i don't have any hard feelings about it but jerry filed bankruptcy so he's off the hook well dick and i had signed personally on the lease with jerry so we got sued for a hundred thousand dollars i fortunately had a very dear fraternity brother who had one of the oldest dad and he had one of the oldest law firms in bloomington and i called dave and i said dave i got a little problem here (laughs) and dave said let me see what i can do he got it resolved so that we only had to pay ten thousand dollars okay so we got out of that, and but that was a you know that was actually quite a learning experience about what to do and what not to do in business, and uh, you know it, it didn't really hurt us any. Uh, it was it's a great story. Yeah, you live and, and I can, learn. You live and learn. Yeah, you live and you live and learn, and uh, you know God love Jerry. He's he's had his issues financially over the years, and it just shows it doesn't matter how smart you are. Sometimes you got to have a little common sense. Well, no. uh, I, I got to tell you, 
from we have we have interviewed a lot of people, uh, a lot of former Indiana players. And if I could go back and relive any one of their lives, my God, I want to live Tom Van Arsdale's life. I mean, what you? I'm, I'm more of a, nice. I'm more of a dick guy. I think I'd rather be dick. <laughs> <laughs> now wait a minute, <laughs> Tom. Uh, we have been so excited to talk to you to connect us to the Branch McCracken era of Indiana basketball in such a personal and glorious way. Uh, your energy uh, that we've seen interviews with you in the past and just always respected and admired the way you carry yourself, what you've done with your life, both in basketball and out of basketball. And we do not toss the word around lightly. You are a true, not just Indiana legend, but basketball legend. And it has been an honor and a privilege and a pleasure to go down memory road with you. And uh, I want to personally invite Ward and I. This is my last question. Is this it? You want to ask? Okay. Our last question. Can we please come visit you guys at your art studio? Oh, we'd love to have you guys. Are you yes. kidding me? We're doing it. <laughs> hey, okay, anytime. You guys are welcome anytime. We and will. I really I enjoyed this a lot today. I appreciate you. you did a wonderful job. Oh, oh we well, can't wait you. to read that book, too. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to, if you text me your information, I'll make sure you get one when it's done. Oh, we no. will do that. Oh, no, we're driving oh, over to yeah, pick we'll it up pick and it get up it person. autographed. Yeah. <laughs> well, the book won't be done for about a year. Oh, well, we're coming before that. We're yeah. coming before okay. that. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Tom, thank you so, so much. Thank Dick for us as well. And uh, I will. we will keep in touch with you and, and hope to touch base soon. And hopefully, we'd love to see you back in Bloomington for a game also. We got to get you back in Bloomington also. Well, that would be be fun now don't forget to send me your information because i want my son-in-law wants to see the podcast uh, we will definitely send it to you i'll send you the link and everything okay great hey thanks you guys i really appreciate it it was so much fun oh man i mean a legend a living legend and just the delightful human beings. So when he broke out the shit bomb, like halfway through the interview, I was like, oh, he's our guy. We're good. We're good here. I mean, he's just, uh, you're right, just a brightness to him, an energy to him that you you just hope you have when you're 77 years old, you know? Well, God, I hope I have it when I'm 47 years old. I'm working on it right now. <laughs> uh, but the honesty that clearly such a joyful person to be in conversation with but with a lot of struggles, you know, coming from his father and all that doubt that he carried with him through so much of his career. And, you know, and it even said he's worked on in the time since. I, I just love that people are that open. So you realize, well, I, I can have doubt. I can I can have battles with my confidence and still achieve truly great things. Totally agree. He, uh, yeah, he just embodies this energy and positivity uh, and authenticity uh, about life that that you just want to like hear more of. Like you feel like there's real wisdom to gain just from this guy who, on the outside in, looks like he's got everything, and he was dealing with the same stuff that we all deal with and the same struggles and challenges and i loved getting a little piece of dick also. The, ca the the cameo by dick was just priceless it's so good and yeah i did just say i a, a piece of dick that's what i said well it's Let's the low can we edit yeah that? that's the low hanging fruit yeah um well not as bad as dick cummins 
<laughs> Best name ever. Um, where are we where so are we cutting this out? I don't know. Um, I just love hearing about high school basketball in Indiana. Whenever we talk to one of these guys who was in, you know, really up until the what late nineties when they when they went away from the single class system, he was twenty feet away from Bobby Plump shooting that shot. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. He remembers vividly watching the nineteen fifty three Branch McCracken National Champion Indiana Hoosiers play. Well, and that even back then in the forties. Go over to the neighbor's house, and you know that TV was the size of a refrigerator, and the screen was the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> and and they still gathered together. Community, right? Indiana basketball, yeah. it's so much about community. And it's just fun to hear about back in the day it being alive and well then as it is today. And again, I mean, I know our podcast is about Indiana University, but- we we have talked to so many people who have talked about the importance of high school basketball, and we've heard Sharon Wilkerson talk about the Jeffersonville uh, sectional and state championship. We've heard Ted, Ted Kitchell talk about winning the sectional was the most important game. Against the mighty Peru Tigers. Which which probably Kitchell winning a national championship in Indiana and still saying the sectional championship means more. But here we have Tom Van Arsdale, All-American at Indiana University, the star with his brother of those teams. And what's the biggest memory you have? And it's the regional game against Crispus Attucks. Yeah. Like, that's how much basketball means to the community, to the people. And And with our current roster and next year even getting more Indiana high school basketball alum heavy, I just – I think it really – means something not just to the whole state wanting to rally around the university's team because there's so many local kids on there, but that those kids understand a hundred plus years of basketball history that is in the soil of that state. And I don't care about recent history. No team, no school matters more to that history and to the state than Indiana University. And I love that there's going to be that many kids on the squad next year that really understand that at a molecular level. (laughs) Right. Uh, Oh, and one more note on that. One thing we didn't get to talk about, Tom, that senior year where they were quite good, seven seniors. Seven. They got old, and they stayed old. They got old and stayed old. Seven seniors who scored more than, I think that team scored 2,200 points that year was the stat I was given, and the seniors scored over 2,000 of them. When he said they had three guys averaging upwards of 20 points on that team, I was like, what is that like? I mean, they scored 90 points or more 13 out of 24 games. Hurry and Hoosiers. How many times did we score 90 points this year? I think twice, twice, and once was in overtime. Yeah, I mean, just... He's just a legend. He's an absolute legend, and, and, and like he played him, in the mid-60s. And like him getting to play for Branch and, and with Oscar, and now and now we get to talk to these guys that, that we grew up hearing about and, and to not be disappointed. In fact, whatever expectations we had are exceeded when you get to spend that kind of time talking with a guy like that. And just how you talked about Steve Green being this kind of linchpin between these you know, different eras. 
We had this guy who grew up worshiping Branch McCracken, seeing the Milan Championship, seeing the 53 Championship at Indiana, playing for Branch McCracken, and then becoming very good friends with Bobby Knight. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's like it it is just a wonderful I, I've said it many times, it's just a wonderful trip down memory lane with these guys that have walked the path that we have just dreamed about. Branch McCracken, two-time national champion. That's enough, you know, to 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 have pride in him being the 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 great coach, the iconic coach, the legendary coach before Bobby Knight. But then when you hear the twins were sick and he showed up at their frat with groceries, like how do you not just love that guy more and feel like you you know him better? And when that name comes up on this podcast or out in the world. You're like, man, he was a good dude, too. Yeah. Like, th- that was a guy who not only got it done on the court, but he created a family-like atmosphere and really cared for those guys. It just makes you love the whole history of our program that much more. Yeah, it's not just a funny name, Branch McCracken, right? It, which is, it is a great funny name. Yeah, it's, it, uh, you know, maybe Tom knows. Maybe we can find out. Branch wasn't his birth name, right? I have no idea. It was idea. probably like— Bill Murphy will know that. Yes. We'll talk to well, Bill well, Murphy. Uh, uh, it might be his birth name, Branch McCracken. It's great. Uh, but he becomes a full human being when we hear these stories. Yes. And by the way, so does Tom Van Arsdale, because I have heard about Tom Van Arsdale. I've read about him. I've seen interviews with him. But I never got like to do what we did with him. And now I see him playing for Indiana. You know, one thing, and we'll talk to him about this, I think, when we go down to Scottsdale and into his art studio, which we're definitely going to do. Going to be so good. I want to know what it was like playing in the field house. Yes. You know, they played in the new field house in Indiana, where I've heard some stories about just kind of what the ambiance was like in there, and I want to hear from him. Well, and it wasn't your dad who said you could just go in before the game and get a ticket and sit behind the bench? That was a little later. That was Lou Watson. Lou Watson years. Yeah, it might have been a harder ticket in the branch day. The final few years of Lou Watson, except for the last one where – McGinnis and Downing were both playing. Yeah. But my dad was there before that. He said, I mean, they were so bad that, like, yeah, if you wanted, my dad was like, they would let me sit on the bench. One thing we didn't bring up with Tom that struck me was how many IU players ever became NBA All Stars? We know Isaiah, we know Victor. Who else? God, I don't know. Just as far as where they end up ranking in the pantheon of all-time great IU players if you you want to look beyond Bloomington about just a basketball career those guys are some of the absolute greatest ever to pass through Bloomington and it just makes that that rich tradition that much richer when you realize how exceptional they were I do think Eric Gordon made an all-star team he was definitely like sixth man of the year. I think so he you made would, an all-star team. You would think that would get him there. Walt Bellamy. Okay. I think he made an all-star team. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. I don't know exactly how many. And I, I don't know if McGinnis made it once he got to the NBA, because obviously he dominated ABA. Yeah, I, it's a good question. Let's I, look it up for next time. Okay, yeah. And next time, we'll have another one of these. Yeah, and and hopefully the people listening right now will listen to that one and yes. and follow us on Twitter. Have I ever said that before? Do it. Do the whole thing. Oh, okay. Um, it's at Hoosier Hysterics, in Hysterics, no I, no E, 
and the no, you no, screwed no it e up. and no I. Yeah, because then it rhymes with Y. Right. Okay. You do it again. Okay. Um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, add Hoosier Hysterics. No in hysterics. No, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> Try again. Take uh, three. Follow us at. Damn, Take I four. I couldn't even say it. Follow. Beep. Take four. Follow us at Hoosier Hysterics. In the hysterics, no E and no I, but, but the, the sometimes, sometimes Y. Y. You, you had some real trepidation when you were doing that one, but you, you nailed it. You got it. Thank you. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.